Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit abyssbattery.com. From the Palmetto Swamps, to the Piney Woods, to the Oak Flats, you're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. Hey guys, welcome to episode 47 of the Louisiana Bowhunter podcast. It might seem like the kickoff to the season three, but in true late fashion, we are closing out season two um, and the 2019-2020 season. Locke is on the other line. Locke, say what's up, man. How are you doing? What's up? I'm here. I'm still here. So we are very cognizant of the fact that this is not even close to being the end of both season, season two. Uh, And I'm, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to take the crutch of this is 2020 and nothing matters anymore. This is COVID reality. Nothing matters. There are no rules for anything. um, And everything sucks. And the reason why we're so late, we have some good reasons. I don't know if y'all know the difference between an excuse and a reason. A reason is not doing something because you can't. And an excuse is not doing something because you don't want to. And what happened What happened was we were gearing up for the um, Louisiana Bowhunter 3D Challenge. I had mailed Locke all of the podcast equipment because he runs the Strutcast podcast with our equipment. And just to remind everybody of the timeline, the day of the 3D Challenge in Alexandria, March, I think it was March 14th, that was the last day of a 200-person maximum group size in Louisiana before the shutdown. The very next day, it went to 50, and then three days later, it went to 10, and we've been living in a COVID world ever since. And... um, so with turkey season, locks podcast, and also COVID kicking in and us gearing up for the um, 3D challenge, which was a huge hit. It was the biggest one we've ever had. I, f- I feel like Trump saying that. It was, it was, it was big. Huge. It was huge. It was huge. big. It was nothing. No, none was ever bigger. Ever. Than, yeah, best thing ever. And um, 
that was a big success. But very shortly after, the world shut down. Yeah. And uh, and so honestly, you know, when you get into March and spring, it's kind of hard to want to talk about bow hunting stuff. So I apologize for the lateness of this, but we've got a really good episode, and I know that because we're recording this intro. After all of the other interviews that we've done, this is going to be a season recap of the 2019-2020 season. We've got three guests, three guys you've never heard of, Taylor, uh, Teddy, and Wendell. And they are both out of central Louisiana, or all three out of central Louisiana, um, like uh, uh, Alexandria Central, not like Livingston Parish Central. And is, is Central in Livingston Parish? No, it's I don't not. think it's in East Baton Rouge. East Baton Rouge. Sorry. East, I, I apologize to everybody in Central. But um, anyway, great guests on. Um, these are three guys, younger guys. Some of them uh, just got out of college at LSU. Another one's a fire fireman at, uh, in Alexandria. And um, really devoted, got a really good game plan, good strategy, and some good stories on the deer that, um, that they won the Louisiana Bow League with they uh they they were the number one team and um that's why we chose them was because there had to be some good stories on um hogs coyotes does bucks whatever that they killed last season because that whole system is points based and we'll tell you about that in a second um but uh we put we chose these guys and and as i like to put it these aren't this isn't warren womack you know this isn't ted nugent these are regular people like you and me and these are guys that you're going to park next to at a wma and not know what their names are and um you know that's what we love about the podcast is that you get to learn from the people that you can't hunt next to and we get to know what's in their bag what are they hunting with what's their tactic what's their hunting style blah 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 and I think you're going to um, enjoy this episode. Uh, to talk about the Louisiana Bow League for a second, last year was the first year. It's run by a guy named Jordan and a guy named Justin. And uh, it is not technically affiliated with Louisiana Bow Hunter, um, but we are a supporter of it. We do try and drive people to that because we think it is a unique, fun, uh, and dynamic addition to a bow season that we're already participating in anyway but you've got uh another 14 or 13 days by the time this is released to sign up a three-man team i think it closes at the very end of september and um it's points based you get a certain amount of points for does certain amount of points for hogs and then you get one point per horn or, or bone length or inch inch of of bucks that you kill so if you kill a 120 inch buck you get 120 points and then you add your does in and it is cumulative so everybody on a team you add your points together and you get your ranking um the 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 cool thing about it is that it's not like a blood sport it's not you know, uh, what can I like, this is just an ancillary addition to what we're already doing. It's a fun way to, um, kind of keep up with and have a competition about with people across the state that you've never met. You, you don't know anything about them, but you've got other teams that are kind of pinned against each other and it's anyone's game. Um, I know some guys that placed uh, high up on the rankings last year that all they do is hunt public. And I know guys that, 
place really, really low on the rankings and they've got management land, you know, that they're hunting and, and they, they hunt, um, uh, they're, they're, they're able to just walk in five minutes before shooting light on a lease. And so it's any man's game. So if you're interested, go to, uh, on Facebook, Louisiana bow league, you can sign up your team, send them a message and they'll get you signed up. And then, uh, I'm sure they're going to have some cool prizes this year, but it's a fun thing. Last year they had 27 teams, and I think as of this year already, I think they're already at 25. So um, pretty fun thing. Uh, there's 35,000 uh, bow uh, licenses sold every archery licenses sold every year, and we're talking about 75 people signed up so far. So it can get a lot bigger than this, and I think it's going to be fun to watch this grow over the years. So um, anyway, let's uh, let's kind of guess kick this off, man. Um, what have you been up to, man? What have you been prepping for? How have you been prepping? Are you prepped? You know, tell me what you've been I doing. I'm not, I, I wouldn't classify myself as prepped. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm, I, if I'm being totally honest, I have really kind of struggled to kind of get motivated with that being said. Um, being a private land guy, I have been spending quite a bit of time, probably the last, uh, probably since mid-August, early August, mid-August, mm-hmm. doing tractor work and really just land management work, trying to get to, uh, I'm trying to get to the place where I can do the more fun things like just shoot my bow and go check cameras and stuff like that. But I find myself on a tractor till dark just about every day because I have you know, in all total, amongst all the different places I hunt, I'm, I'm managing, you know, several thousand acres. And I, I'm not responsible for all of the work on all of that, but for the better part of five or 600 of it, I am. And, uh, you know, so that, that, that occupies a lot of my time. My 12-year-old, well, he's not 12. He'll be 12 during hunting season this fall. But he, he has gotten to the point now where... He killed his first buck last year, and he's killed a couple of does with his rifle, and he's been shooting his bow every day, and he's a pretty good shot, and I am in the process of getting him set up with a bow that he can hunt with. So that's going to be the next uh, step in preparation for me is, um, you know, getting him and, and actually trying it out. So see, let's see what we can do, see if he can uh, if he can pull it off, or, it, or at least just see how he does, you know, hunting. He He's definitely... I kind of took the dad route of, okay, show me how committed you are to this. Yeah. You know, how much are you going to actually go out there and shoot and how good are you? And he's shooting, he's got one of those little diamond atomic mm-hmm. uh, youth bows that are very, that really, really cool product. If you're not really looking for, a, I wouldn't suggest that you try to set that bow up to actually hunt with it, at least not for a, a big game animal. Um, but it is a legitimate real compound bow. It's, it's, and, and it, it is an awesome, in my opinion, training tool, uh, learning tool for kids to learn how to really shoot a real bow and, and, uh, you know, kind of take that stepping stone into shooting, uh, the next step, which would be, a, 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 a I guess a higher end youth style bow. So, uh, he's, he's been doing that and he, he shoots very well. He shoots better than quite a few grown men that I have shared camp with over the years, if I'm being completely <laughs> honest. And that's, yeah. with, that's with a little youth compound bow that, 
you know, by all means, is not nearly as precise as the kind of bows that we hunt with. So that's going to be a big deal. And then, of course, you know, um, all the other stuff that I do, I'm trying to get my schedule lined out. I got all these different things that I'm filming and and stuff. And so, you know, from a preparatory standpoint, um, I need to shoot my bow more and I need to get all this tractor work done so I yeah. can start trying to find deer to hunt and move some stands around and figure out you know what that's going to look like so well this kind of where i'm at this is um season recap for last season so um give us a, a kind of a, a quick rundown on how your season ended last year or yeah, how so, your season was last year yeah it was it was a great season i i have to be honest it it's uh it, it happens to me more often than not that even if i even if i have a good year um towards the end of the season i'm trying to temper this comment a little bit because i don't want it, i don't want it to be taken overly literally but i always i kind of put pressure on myself i want to end i want to have some high note you mm-hmm. know so i'm always trying to kill that late season buck or you know where that's pretty much what it is um i don't shoot those late season so and it, it's you know i always feel like there's just i just need one more high point to close off the year and and i have to be honest this year that didn't happen i was you know i to before we get into the details i I killed my obsession um i found that deer i I shot him the week of christmas and um i i had some really good hunts i didn't shoot another arrow um i came close i came really close on a couple of nice deer in mississippi in the month of january but I hunted with my son a lot. Um, he made a few hunts by himself for the first time. I got to hunt with my dad. And I I had such a good season um, that I ended the year completely content. And, and I made those last few hunts going. There's a few deer I'm, I, that I know are around this property. And one of them, I came really close late in the year to actually getting a shot with him. And um, But I ended it really satisfied. So, yeah. Um, I guess to better explain that I started my season off, I went up to Missouri, which would have been a year ago this week. I went for, you know, they open on the 15th. I went up there with the intentions of trying to hopefully kill a a velvet buck. And, um, if not, you know, just a a early season deer hunting, uh, property where there's a lot of soybeans deer on a feeding pattern. And I didn't kill a real big buck, but I did kill a really nice management deer on video which was, you know, the ultimate goal was to have a good early season hunt and to kill a deer, and I was able to do that. So I kicked off the season good that way. And um, to be honest with you, my, my I have two sons, and they both play peewee football, so October weekends were few and far between. I passed up a deer that I should have not passed up, and if I could show you the video, you'd slap me. <laughs> but uh, I, I had a couple of really nice eight points, and this deer was probably mid-130s eight point. And I videoed him at 18 yards for 45 minutes. Um, oh, man. In a feed spot. You and really just, decided to pass on him, huh? And I just didn't shoot him. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I, I, I thought to myself, um, there was two eight points. One of them was much taller and heavier, and, and the other one was really wide. And if I can, if I can somehow define my train of thought, I really wanted to kill the wide deer. Yeah. The other deer was really nice, and and it, it you know there's no real reason other than these two were running together, and I sat there for 45 minutes waiting on his buddy to show up, and 
you know, I, I can't lie and say that there wasn't at some point a time where I picked my bow up and thought I'm going to go ahead and shoot him. And because there was, and I had kind of decided I'm going to go ahead and do it. And then of course he fed straight away from me. Uh, once I decided to shoot him, he never turned broadside again, walked straight away from me, but I was fine with that. So that was kind of a high mark in October. And then of course, November comes and I always go up to the Midwest and I had a really good trip. I filmed a buddy of mine, kill his biggest buck with a bow. And, uh, then I, then I was able to hunt the rest of the week and I ended up killing a just an absolute now horn wise is there's 140 inch 10 point mm -hmm. but body wise i'm I, an absolute cow i uh, killed this deer this is in, the one that was in in the pond no, oh, no so, that, okay. that's louisiana deer gotcha. uh this is a i killed him in northeast kansas right on the nebraska line and a funny i guess a funny mark about that is there's an indian reservation right there in nebraska and the indian reservations their lines are all painted with purple paint and that's just kind of unique because, I mean, how many places do you see people using purple as a as a, a color sure. marker? Uh, this deer had purple paint all over his horns where he'd been rubbing a, a painted <laughs> fence post. Um, and, I mean, I literally was, you know, I could he shot a rifle in Nebraska. I could have heard it. I was right there close to the line. But uh, I had an awesome hunt, man. I, you know, just the typical Midwest rut. Sat all day for four days and uh, – decided to make one last morning bef hunt before hitting the road and um was able to kill this deer you know 7 30 in the morning so uh that you know that was kind of my november and um now when you when you were there was that the same week i was in illinois yes yes when the okay. snow came through snow yeah. so yeah. we filmed the first kill my buddy geo um was hunting and you can you can watch all of these hunts uh, on <clears throat> on the scree youtube channel um but so the snow came through the same the same storm that you dealt with, and uh, we had to drive to Kansas City and pick up a cameraman at the airport, and we did that in the middle of the blizzard, and so you know it broke that afternoon. I don't know what the timeline was for it coming across. You were more east of us, so maybe we sure. were ahead of it, a day ahead of you on that. But that afternoon after it after it blew through, we went and got in a tree with five or six inches of snow on the ground and a thirty mile an hour wind, and let me tell you. I'm talking about miserable, but you know, 30, 45 minutes before dark deer got on their feet. This deer pops out in the edge of a cornfield about 200 yards away and starts working that line that, that the edge of that field down towards us. And, um, he gets to about 60 yards and he cut across the finger of corn that we were sitting on and he disappeared in the woods straight across from us. And we we're just heartbroken. You know, um, I mean, here he is, it's fixing to be beautiful footage in the snow, right? In the cut corn in the snow and all that. And I pulled out a grunt call, grunted at him a few times and he popped right back out, right up underneath us and walked to 15 yards and beautiful footage. And then, you know, from then on, it was a cold week. You hunted it, you know, oh, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, crazy. I sat in the same stand from daylight to dark for four straight days and during those four days, I saw four different shooters, and one of them was 180 plus. I mean, maybe 190. I don't, I'm not going to sit here and, and and try to score a deer that I was looking at across a, a finger of woods in another cornfield. But I had him as close as I got him. was about 300 yards, and he was a giant. I saw him three times in four days. And the deer I killed, I actually watched him run that deer off um, one afternoon. So uh, I sat there, and then on the last day, I was supposed to leave. And my wife said, why don't you just hunt in the morning and just get on the road mid-morning and 
you know, you've, you've done it this long. And the guy I was hunting with was like, man, just go sit one more morning. You know, mm-hmm. and it was opening morning of rifle season in Nebraska and Missouri. But Kansas was still archery. And I'm right there in the, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm my, the lodge I'm staying at is in Nebraska. I'm driving over, you know, six miles down the road into Kansas. Um, so, you know, the woods were lit up. There were people going hunting everywhere, opening day of rifle. And, and uh, you know, I get in the stand and, yeah, I ran some deer off walking down this finger of corn. And one, and I could tell it was a hot doe with, with a couple of bucks with it, but I don't know what they were. They were just silhouettes, you know. And um, that in typical fashion, when you walk up on deer that are chasing like that, they're so they're so focused on what they're doing that they really don't spook. You know what I mean? Yeah. But in this situation, the way they separated, I could tell that they got off of that doe. And as soon as it broke daylight, man, I had like six different bucks cruising all around me trying to find that doe. And I knew when I got in the stand, there was one of those deer looked really big, just silhouette-wise, just looked really big. I couldn't see its horns. I just knew it was a big buck, and I knew it. And um, it disappeared off the left side of his finger, and... It, the sun was just barely peeking over the horizon and I bleated and grunted a few times and, and this, the deer I shot popped up right where that deer went in and walked right to me, shot him at seven steps and huge, the biggest body deer I've ever killed. I, I couldn't weigh him, but he was well over 300 pounds. And I say that because I've killed two or three deer up there that, that we did weigh that were in the 300 pound range. So huge deer. So, um, you know, so I leave the frigid cold of the Midwest and come back home and so you know i guess the the cap to this is the pond deer and people may have seen a lot of this on on social media and i'm sure we talked about it on the podcast last year i can't even remember for sure but um here in louisiana i started taking pictures of a deer that was bigger than i'm used to getting on this property here at my house in east feliciana and i started taking this picture on july the 6th and uh in velvet and july and august i took a lot of pictures of him um just over just feeding and putting camera out on a feed pile and keeping up with what deer around and uh when they started losing their velvet he kind of disappeared on me and it took me the better part of october to figure out where he was and he had moved as a 400 acre piece of property and he had moved from the far um east side of it to kind of the middle kind of the middle middle more western side of it and um i had uh, a couple of cameras just in the woods on feed trees and primary trails that cut from bedding area to bedding area uh where there was a lot of food in between and i would take his picture about once a week at random times sometimes 10 o'clock in the morning most of the time in the middle of the night so i knew he was there but he was an absolute ghost as far as figuring him out all i really knew was I had a really good idea of about ten a ten acre bottom end of a cutover that butted up to these big hardwoods where I had the stands and the camera camera two cameras two cell cameras that I didn't have to go in and check they were sending me pictures throughout the season and one afternoon um, one afternoon in late late November early December we had a little cool front come through and it got just perfect high uh, high pressure barometer was right. And I hunted him, hoping that with that weather change, it might be the one day that he walked through there in the daylight, you know, and I sat all day, and I didn't see him. I saw several deer, didn't see him, but I knew he was there. Every time I went in there, I knew where, you know, I had, or at least I thought I knew, 
where he was betting, and he was within 200 yards of me the whole time, and I I still feel confident of that. But that afternoon, I, I got out of the stand. I'd sat there all day long, and uh, I got out of the stand, and I, I slipped up to a food plot on top of the hill above that, that little pocket of cutover, and he was standing in the middle of that food plot right at dark. And I slipped up there. He didn't know I was there. I slipped up there and looked at him at about 100 yards, and I thought to myself, that's the only day I was a camera on that plot and I can't say this for sure, but I'm pretty confident. That's the only day that that deer showed himself in the daylight. Hmm. So, th- so thus far. And I thought to myself, you know, it's, it's really a kind of a miracle that one of my buddies that I hunt with and they had every right to, that they weren't sitting in that box stand on that food plot that afternoon. And yeah. they would have killed him. No doubt. Yeah, you know? Yeah. And, uh, but there he was. And I thought, man, you, you know, something else i'm chasing this deer i can't figure him out can't see him so anyway um shorten the story up a little bit uh november comes and goes we get into december hunting with my son with rifle season going he kills his first buck um in the same area that that i'm hunting the deer i don't know how that's going to affect him but the cellular cameras middle of december comes and i start taking his picture in the daylight pretty much every day on one of these two cameras he's cruising this this hardwood bottom between these two bedding areas every morning. And there was one morning where I thought I needed to hunt. This was around about December the 10th or so, the the 12th, 15th, something right in there. And I thought to myself, I need to hunt this morning, but I wasn't totally comfortable with the wind and I had some things going on at work. And so I decided not to hunt. And at nine 45, I think it was my phone sends me a picture and it, and I, I can't, I can't better describe it. The deer was looking at the camera, like taunting me right in front of one of my lock horns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I thought, your days are numbered, pal. You know, and it was from that day on, I started I started getting a lot more pictures of him and other bucks that I wasn't used to seeing in the daylight. And so I, I, I kind of I bought my time a little bit, and on December the 19th, I had the perfect wind, I had the perfect weather, and I had had his picture for two days in a row between 7 and 7.30. And at 7.30, here he came, just just like clockwork. And I didn't make a great shot, and uh, uh, he I, I, he stepped through the peep. And what I mean by that is, it, you know, I, I spend a lot of time, you know, I, I, I only hunt with a bow, and I really only shoot big, mature deer. And so I spend a lot of time in the process, in the preparation. And, I, and in that, in this particular spot, I've shot deer here before, and there's a little kind of drainage ditch, so to speak. It's not really a ditch, but it's just kind of a depression. The water flows through this kind of swampy bottom. And the deer, they have to cross it in, in this little funnel where I'm hunting in these woods. And they always step up out of that ditch and stop. Mm-hmm. Always. Every deer that comes through there. Every deer I've ever seen in that stand for five years I've hunted this property, they step up out of that ditch and they stop. And they look around and they keep walking through the funnel. This deer stepped up out of the, I, I drew back and I put it on the spot, 15 yards, maybe really more like 12 yards. And as he stepped up out of the ditch, he actually stepped forward. He kind of sped up and I was anticipating he was stopping it. And I never looked at him. I just, I never looked at him. I never tried to pause him. I never tried to stop him. We've talked about that before. I, I find that if you can slip one in without alerting them, mm-hmm. you know, your your blood trail situation becomes more advantageous and everything. And so when his front shoulder hit my peep, I shot him. 
Yeah. And he just took one more step and I hit him. I'm talking about 10 ringed him right through the middle of his body. You know, uh, six, seven inches forward, he's double lunged and he's dead. And I watched him walk off. And that was December the 19th. And we, uh, we put a blood dog on him. We put two different blood dogs on him. We put two, we put a pair of dogs that are, that are wind dogs that, you know, they don't follow the trail. They try to win the deer. And they went to a pond at the neighbor's and we pulled them off and we put them back and pulled them off and they kept going to that pond and the blood didn't go that way. The blood went the other way and we just figured this just wasn't going to work. Well, another guy with a bloodhound calls me later that night, 11 o'clock at night, he shows up at my house and he puts this bloodhound on the dog on the trail and he made a uh, 1.7 mile trek in a big loop, went right up through his bedding area, came all the way around and at like two o'clock in the morning, we're standing on the bank of this pond and the dog's just swimming, swimming out in the pond, coming back, swimming out in the pond, coming back. And the guy said, we took the dog out. We, we, we walked all the way around the pond. We ensured that there was no track leaving the pond that the dog could find. He said, I believe your deer's in the pond, but you know, what are we going to do? Right. So, um, on Christmas Eve morning, I was going into work for a little while. I, I, I kept going over there to the neighbor. Get, thank you to the neighbor. He was very generous. And he would let me go out there in the mornings before work and check the pond. And five days later, on um, December the 24th, Christmas Eve, I was going into work for a little while before, you know, afternoon Christmas Eve family plans and uh, walked out to the pond. And there he is floating within 30 yards of where the dog tracked him into the pond. Hey, I guess I, the, another thing to say is there was blood on the ground, literally a step from the water with tracks i mean there was no doubt he walked in the water it was just yeah. well, did he come out or not that's what we didn't know and he went into the deep end of the pond where they dug it out um and it was just deep water and i he mean sank, the huh? best guess is he sunk yeah. and it was cold that week and uh so you know that that deer's a low 140s 10 point which is a pretty pretty uh spectacular deer for this part of the world sure, where yeah. i'm at well so, i re- uh, i remember uh yeah i remember like where i was and like like where i was standing when you i can't i really can't remember if you called or texted me i think you texted me but i remember where like time stood still like flashbulb moment where i was when you you told me that you found him you know because because like i mean it's five days later or you know a week later that's that's wild the thing that the the picture to paint here you know for for people that are listening and trying to follow this story is you know not only is this a deer that i i knew the deer was there and he grew like i hoped he would and i found him like i i knew the deer was there the year before and i was hoping nobody shot him and he was by far anybody i wasn't going to shoot him just because that's how i choose to hunt but you know, I couldn't have blamed anybody for shoot, shooting him. He was a nice deer. I mean, he was a high 120s, low 130s, nine point the year before. And I knew he had potential to be really good. And so I find this deer in July and I've got all of this, you know, mm-hmm. going on. And um, I've been fortunate enough to kill plenty of deer and all, but this deer was just different, you know. And then, then you fast forward to, to the situation and uh, I know how and why the shot went the way it did, but yeah, the other side of that is um, all of the things that you do and all the friends that you talk to and you try to tell yourself, well, this is this is how this is going to be. And everything really played out perfect as far as a gut shot goes. The deer was very close to his bedding area. 
Yeah. The wind was in my favor. I was able to slip out of there, go to work. I shot him at 7.30 in the morning. I didn't come back until after 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And by all uh, – it, it's kind of a testament to how anything can happen, and we'll never really know. But in, in that case – and this is what you hear from even the guys that do the blood dogs, and they go on a lot of blood trails. You know, this is a good situation. This deer's going to go into his home area. He's going to lay down. And nothing, you know, he's going to be there. Worst case scenario, we're going to bay him. You know, he's not pushed. There's no reason he's he's going to be there. He's going to go find somewhere and lay up. Well, I was able to exit and go straight out without disturbing him one bit. I'm confident of that. But, uh, you know, so I was very confident going into it that we're either going to bay this deer within a couple hundred yards or we're going to find him dead within a couple hundred yards. And, and that was a kind of a shared opinion. Like, you know, that's a, that's a, yeah. I'm shooting a grim reaper, very big hole. You could see it on the video. It was a, a massive wound that this deer was carrying around. And, um, of course that doesn't happen. And, and so then you go through this whole pro and you went through this with me, Kyler, you and I talked about this a lot, yeah. you know, not on yeah, the yeah. podcast, just, you know, you talk to all these people. Well, a deer's going to float after so many hours. Well, a deer's not going to, you know. Well, wasn't this it person, really cold? It, it, yeah, it was cold. It was really cold. And so I can't tell you between the tracking dog people and just the people who hunt around a lot of water and all the different opinions I got. Well, if that deer ain't floating by tomorrow, you're not going to find him. Well, you know, that deer might stay down a week. It depends on the, t- you hear all these things. Sure. And, um, all these opinions and you just don't know and all you've got to go on is this dog was amazing and if this dog got that far i I was very confident that if the deer had left the pond that dog would have found his track Mm because that dog was amazing how far he followed this deer and everything um with not a lot of blood i mean it's you know and, and all that stuff and you know what it comes down to is he had such a massive wound entry and exit i mean the arrow went clean through him like butter i mean just zip zip stuck in the ground three or four inches on the other side and he's got a huge hole inner and out and what it comes down to is he gets out in that cold water his body cavity fills up with water and he sinks and he's in deep enough cold enough water that the bloating process just took a lot longer yeah than normal for him to actually float up and you know the last thing to say but the, the crazy thing is if if anybody had driven up to my house on christmas eve morning you would have thought i shot that shot that deer the night before he yeah, looked, yeah, yeah. he wasn't bloated. He wasn't decay. I mean, he, he was, this is a pretty big pond. And the way I found him was with a drone. Actually. Um, I was going out there and flying a drone over the pond looking for, um, you know, him to be floating right under the surface or, you know, kind of suspended or anything like that. And I walked up to the pond and I looked out across there with my binoculars and I saw something on that other bank. And as you can imagine for five days in a row, I pretty much know every stump head that's sticking up out of this pond. I pretty much know everything. I've looked at it hundred times it's a beautiful well manicured place and real you know clean water and all that so you can see really well and i saw something that didn't look right and i flew the drone over the top of it and i could see his you know i could see his hind quarter was floating and the rest of him was kind of suspended down and i could see his horns under the water and everything and he was you know i I, he was six seven steps off the bank and you know where the levee went into the deep water and and uh so all is you know in the end you know the the truth of it is i took the deer i quartered him up i ground all the meat up made dog food out of it let my dog you know my dog enjoyed the crap out of it i wasn't gonna eat it at, you know five days old but um in the end i it, as good as a recovery like that can be i got the deer mounted he, he looked got closure yeah 
yeah, he looks great. He, you know, it's not like I found an old rotten head a week later that was, you know, uh, chewed up or anything like that. I mean, it was, it yeah. was like I left him overnight and found him the next day. So, um, that's great, man. Yeah, it was good. That's a long story, I know, but I don't know if we've told it on the podcast yet, but it was all over Facebook. And again, you know, um, it was a heck of a, and, and the way it ended, man, after Christmas, after the holidays, I hunted a lot in January and I would have loved to take a, a deer in Mississippi. I didn't for the first time in a long time. I didn't kill a deer in Mississippi, but, um, I had, I had a really good season and I, I, I was able to enjoy the last month of hunting season with, without that pressure we all put on ourselves you know i was like you know what i'm i'm good i've killed three bucks all of them on video all of them mature deer with a bow and hey i mean if i get another one great if not it's been good so that's awesome dude that's awesome in contrast in contrast i know you i know you had some 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 struggles yourself so well, yeah like so so like if if we take so if we take your season like you had a really good season if you just take the opposite of that uh you have uh, my season and uh it you know it it was um it was a humbling season um humbling like very different type of humbling from like my tradbow year where that was like you're doing it to yourself that yeah that was like forced handicap you know like i'm i'm intentionally increasing the difficulty level blah 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 and and that was um, that was, uh, I felt like I was in control of my struggles then. Mm-hmm. This one was more one of those things where like you'd make a shot and then you'd look at your bow like it was like broken or something or, yeah. or you'd be like, what the hell was that? Um, so for me, because I've thought a lot about this, uh, over the last couple months, um, last year was a really odd year in my life in its entirety. Um, I quit a job that p- most people would be stupid to ever leave um, at an income level that most people would be stupid to give up. Um, I was extremely unhappy in what I was doing. I was extremely unhappy in who I was doing it for. I was working for a private equity company, running an electrical company, r- running an electrical um, uh, uh, division of a much larger Entity that had no culture, had no soul, had no structure, and and it was just not a good workplace, and I despised it. And um, I before I had left, before I had gone to work there, I had worked for a company called Fastenal. I was there for ten years, and I love Fastenal. Fastenal was a great company. It was a fantastic place to cut your teeth. Um, but it's also not really that great of a place if you ever want to make more than like 50 K a year, you know, you can make 50 K a year for like 50 years at fast and all. But if you ever want to go over like 75, 80, 90, 100, 120, like it ain't, it ain't happening. And, um, and so I left and went to this electrical company that ended up being a bust. And, um, anyway, I, I went all in on an apparel company. I started a company um, uh, in May of 2019 while I was still working as the director of this electrical company. And in three months of running this company, I had essentially like replaced my salary with enough to where I could, I could like live. And um, I went headfirst all in. In August 16th of 2019, 
I was my last day working for the man. I broke the golden handcuffs, got off of the, the treadmill of corporate life and was doing, I was like, <laughs> I, I like to put it real simply like this. Cause it like, it sounds like unimpressive, but I was making hats, right? I was in apparel company. I was making headwear, leather patch hats. Like we make all the stuff for Louisiana bow hunter and, and a lot of other companies, gator coolers and people like that. And, um, I was a bootstrap entrepreneur working out of my house and growing the company from August to September at such a veracity that I needed a bigger space. So in September of last year, like like one year ago, right now, pretty much, I moved into a bigger warehouse, 2000 square feet. And anyway, fast forward a year, I've got six employees. I've got a partner. We're trying to buy a bigger building. We're doing um, really big things for some cool people. I've got a, um, I've got a cool board on, uh, my, my, I hesitate to call my office. My office is like the warehouse. So like, (laughs) it's not a independent space. It's just the corner that my desk is in. And, um, I've got a, a dry erase board and on the dry erase board is the title cool people that wear our hats. (laughs) And it's, uh, Eli Manning, Jimmy Buffett, Joe Rogan. Um, you know, uh, your guy, um, uh, John Dudley, your buddy from Knock on Archery, uh, a couple other people that that's just really cool. Zach Brown band. Um, and uh, anyway, we, we've made some cool stuff for some cool people and it's been a fun ride. But what that translated into was me working my ass off every second of every day, all through bow season. And what that meant was I really slacked off on the things I never thought would diminish if you stopped, such as accuracy, confidence, um, you know, being proficient with your bow, all of that stuff. And so I didn't hunt much last year. And when I did hunt, I had good experiences with like encounters, but I mean, I kind of debated on whether to say this or not. And you, you're going to learn throughout the, you know, the guests that we talked to here in a few minutes. Um, I lost four deer last year. Okay. And that is not something I've ever experienced before. It is not something I'm proud of. It is not something that was fun to go through four different times. Um, and I, uh, I own it. Like it's my fault. Um, it was under, under preparedness. It was, um, a diminished proficiency in, uh, my bow hunting ability and shooting ability. Um, I naively believed that shooting your bow was like riding a bike. I really did. And I'm not going to say like I picked it up like three days before the season started shooting. Um, and it wasn't like any equipment issues. It was, I developed legitimately target panic. We talked about that last episode. We talked to John Poche about target panic and how to break out of it. And the re- what stemmed that episode was the fact that I lost my second very nice public land buck. Okay. I lost one at the end of October and then I lost the second one in, um, uh, it was either, it was right at the new year, like January 3rd, I think. And, um, after that, I was like, this enough is enough. Like let's, let's go to a therapist, you know? And, um, and so I didn't have a great season as far as like 
putting meat in the freezer or finding deer, things like that. I did, I, I did have a, I did retain, cause I don't think you could lose this. I did retain the ability to locate and find and have encounters with deer in the daylight on hunts. Um, I let a lot of deer walk. Um, I have become, I have in, be, become increasingly more selective in what I decide to shoot. Um, and, um, I let, uh, I let a deer walk in Illinois last year that I probably shouldn't have, but I, you know, honestly, I, I had this really nice eight point. He, he was, he was, I could have killed this deer in the basin. He wasn't anything super special. He wasn't like, he was like a, he's like a 120, 125 inch buck. I'm in Illinois. Okay. I, that wasn't what I went up there to kill, but I had a fantastic, almost three minute encounter. I've got video of him walking and you, like half the video is him being filmed through my uh, lone wolf climber. Like he's like that close up underneath me. And, um, I just, I never picked my bow up. I, I just had such a great time with that deer being close, totally clueless, had a blast. Um, I killed two does in Illinois. Those went no problems with those at all. Um, and, uh, and I don't know what happened, but once I got back to the South, man, <laughs> It just, yeah. I, I just never could, I never could fire on all cylinders. And, um, I, you know, I'm telling you this cause hopefully it's relatable. Maybe some other people have gone through this. Um, definitely not like a sot, like, please don't feel sorry for me. I, I'm going to get this shit fixed. It ain't going to be a problem anymore. But, um, w- w- the, what happened was I changed my life so drastically last year that the thing that I thought would stay the same changed, which is my archery ability. And unfortunately, four animals paid the price for my negligence. And um, I know for a fact that at least two of them died. Two of them are probably still alive. Um, but, um, you know, this... it. it yeah. It was just, it was a rough season, but you know, I started a company was working my ass off trying to get that off the ground and make that successful so that I could hunt more in the future. And then on top of that, uh, my wife was pregnant. That's it's always a good idea. Quit your, quit your cushy ass corporate job while your wife's six months pregnant. That is, that's a very fun thing to endure on both sides. Um, and, uh, you know, that was kind of, it sounds like a weird thing. That's a, that's a good motivation for success. Like you, you have this, like, um, uh, you, you don't failure is not an option. This is going to work, you know, and you use that to push from behind. And so there were a lot of things happening. And my son was born, um, December 26th, the day after Christmas. And, um, uh, you know, we, it was a, it was a, a as good of a season as it could have been, but I, I cut out a lot of hunts that I would have made on any other year, and I plan on um, making those up this year. And and now that I've kind of got some momentum going with the business, and we're past the COVID freakout period, um, you know, this is going to be a, a pretty um, pretty good season. Uh, I, I can feel it. I know it's coming up. So well, the, to me, the biggest takeaway from from your uh, situation is you, this: it's coming from someone who is very uh, involved and committed in this sport or hobby or whatever. And if, if, if that happened, granted your situation is very different, you know, uh, what, what happened in your life in terms of 
what kind of got you out of out of that rhythm or, or or whatever you want to call it is very different but 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 what i take away from that is we talk about ethics and we talk about you know the responsibility of the sportsman and the hunter and if it can happen to someone who basically exclusively bow hunts who spends a lot of time with it who's very dedicated to it but it happens to them because of other circumstances what's it going to do to the guy who just doesn't put the amount of time and effort that is required sure i mean i maybe i'm the asshole for saying it this way but the truth of it is if you're not going to do at least the baseline preparation you don't need to go shoot arrows at live animals yeah I agree. you know and 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 that's not a, in any way uh pointed at you as though you did something wrong but it just goes to show if if the dis, just the distractions that you dealt with made it harder for you to be proficient what is it to someone who's not even trying who's just saying well it's just another chance for me to go shoot at something yeah you know we just to me that's the biggest takeaway i mean you obviously are able to compartmentalize that completely differently as someone who's had a lot of success and who's spent a lot of time in in the sport and becoming proficient with it and you're able to take away from it differently but i think for in a big pictures you, you know that it's just it's a picture perfect example of it it takes a lot of commitment and a, de- a lot of dedication a lot of focus to be um to be you know to be what you need to be if you're going to go out there and, and, and hunt with a bow, it's not a rifle. Well, what, you know, and, what and that's I, what's so special about it. It's why we're all addicted to it. What, in hindsight, like, I like to kind of conclude, like, my conclusion, my findings of last season was like, I was on the field, but my head wasn't in the game. And that yeah. was, that's why I prefaced the whole thing by like, my life changed. Like, it was the, it was the first time in my life that I'd never not been totally, like, I, when you work for a company and you have a salary and you get commission and you have benefits and like you have paid vacation and all this, these, this, what's called golden handcuff cuffs are all the benefits of, of having working for an organization. Um, you don't like really know it, but you're, you're pretty cushy, you know, like you, you have the luxury of thinking on your two hour lunch where am I gonna hunt tomorrow? Yeah, if it's you, Friday, you're able to dive off into it. Yeah, you. I mean, and and so like, but when you go into like straight up hunger mode, or like, I I learned this phrase from you from our episode. I think it was episode three um, with Warren Womack. You said you said this term, and I'd never heard it before, which sounds odd. Is starvation bead okay? Starting a company with a six-month-old pregnant wife uh, in a brand new field and something you really don't have a lot of experience in—that's like a year of starvation bead. <laughs> okay, laser focus. And 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 like you don't miss. Like you can't trip up and like waste that shell, that shot. And um and so all my focus was on my family, my livelihood, my mortgage, my insurance. I was playing Cobra at the time. That shit sucked. That was seventeen hundred dollars a month paying Cobra, and um and that was a lot. Uh, like a lot of the money I was making was just to like like just to sustain my current life, and um I was not devoting any of my energy to bow hunting prep. Like I, I, I really thought it was something that like, once you like achieved your bow hunting badge, you could just use it anytime you wanted and everything was going to be the same as it was when you put it away last time. And that is not the case. Um, and so 
you know, I've been practicing. I've, I've, um, I've been working through a lot of, um, like mental, um, uh, holdbacks on, on when it comes to target panic and like re, how can I say this? Um, reliving that pivotal moment of, of, hitting the trigger on your release and, and choosing deliberately to let an arrow fly because that exact moment was where things were falling apart for me. I had it all the way up to there. It was that exact second of picking the exact hair that I wanted to split on an animal. And, and I was, I like, I remember it well, I don't, this doesn't, I'm not defending anything. I'm just being factual. I remember thinking, oh, it's on his, you know, his, his front half, it's kind of close to where I want to hit, pull the trigger. And like, like I, sh- I missed, I lost like a 130 inch eight point on public land at, at, um, 41 yards. I hit him high and back in no man's land. And I remember, and it was in water. I'd been hunting this flooded Palmetto slough for a week and I'd seen this deer twice. And I mean, finally got him at 41 yards and I just blew it, and I was so upset. And that was the last year that I lost. And it was at that point in time I was like, I was like, I might just give up for the season because I can't, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Animals, you know. Um, yeah. But um, anyway, this is going to be a better season. I'm in a different headspace now, and um, things are normalized, and I'm not like freaking out how I'm going to buy groceries this week and all that stuff. Um, and if there's anybody out there that is either like starting a business or thinking about starting a business, I highly suggest it. Just make sure you shoot your bow in the meantime. Um, and <laughs> that would be my advice. But uh, yeah, I, I think it's going to be an awesome season, man. Um, yeah. well, well, look, let's get on to our guests. I know we've been rambling a little, a little bit. Um, we've got three great guys on um, Louisiana Bow League that uh, you're going to ex- be excited to hear their stories. And um we had never talked to these guys before. I told, um, I told uh, the last guy, Wendell. I was like, "Look, I kind of took a gamble on you guys. I said you could have either been like road scholars or like have five teeth between the three of you. I didn't know before we signed you up. All I know is that no you... offense to people that yeah. only have five teeth, by the way. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they pro- probably. I, I, I don't mind if I offend that person. That's not. I don't <laughs> mind that, that much. Um, but uh, anyway. I, um, I was really impressed by these guys and, um, they, you know, Locke and I had discussed before we started recording, we were also kind of, we didn't know that they were all hunting the same lease. So after we found that out, we kind of had this fear like, Oh God, what if they tell us the same story three times? And that's not the case. And I I think y'all are going to like them. They're just like you and me. They, they hunt public land. They hunt private land. They're in school. They're firefighters. I mean, these are they're Louisiana bow hunters and they are the guys that we do this for just like you, just like us. Like we do this because we, we want to learn from each other. They're not, you know, Ted Nugent's or Joe Rogan's neither am I. And so we're all normal people all trying how, trying to figure out how to not suck at this so much. So, um, anyway, we're going to get into it right now, guys. Thanks for listening. All right, guys. Uh, we got, Teddy Price on the phone. Teddy, thanks for joining us from Team uh, Button Bobby from the Louisiana Bow League. How are you doing tonight, man? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. I just actually got finished uh, putting uh, putting a camera out. Nice, man. What do you, where um what area are you hunting in? Uh, I've actually got cameras in uh, kind of northeast Louisiana, Tensaw, Madison area. 
Gotcha. Okay. So, um, you're our first guest and we're, you're on team button Bobby. Are y'all doing the Louisiana bow league again this year? Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I was, I was pretty excited to sign back up. Uh, it was, it was kind of a fun thing to watch on Facebook. It is. It's cool. It adds a, a really cool dynamic to our already cool hunting season. Um, so it's, it's you Taylor Bates and, um, Wendell Lanou or Leno. How is Leno or Lanou? Oh uh, yeah, Luno. Luno. Well, neither. Okay, <laughs> Luno. Um, and uh, and so, where did y'all get the name Button Bobby from? Oh man, um, you know I've actually asked them that a few times, and, and they, I just keep getting that. Oh, you know it just kind of works. You know, it's just kind of one of those names. I'm like, all right, man, whatever you say. Nod and smile. It sounds good. It doesn't have a have an incredible, you know, incredible story behind it or, or a meaning, but it just kind of works. Gotcha. That's a that's a downer. Yeah, that was that locked. I was expecting. I was expecting something. Well, hey, out of hey, that. tell you what, tell you what, uh, Taylor, Taylor's on the on the next slot, man. He uh, he actually came up with it, so he'll he'll know. Okay. What, what gave him the idea? We'll ask him. Yeah, because there's some on the list of teams from last year. There's some uh, there's some interesting names, and um, some of them are pretty uh, pretty obvious, and the other ones are like uh, I I feel like I'm not on the inside joke here. Oh yeah. 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 No, I hear you. Inside yeah. But y'all, so, um, for, for anybody uh, listening that doesn't know what we're talking about, um, the Louisiana bow league is cranking up again this year, but last year it was his first year. It's two guys named Justin and Jordan that just have a really cool, fun league together where depending on what you kill, you get a different set of points. Um, and it's not like just for a disclaimer, it's not like a, a blood sport or anything where you know you're killing stuff for fun it's just you're putting a score to what you would have shot or killed anyway and then you rank yourself against other teams and it's a cool dynamic for the season um now out of 27 teams last year um y'all scored 523 points um and uh the next, the second place team scored 379 points. And um, if I'm not mistaken, I don't remember exactly how the scoring works, but you get one point per inch of of every buck that's killed for the team, right? Right, um, right. And then you get um, a couple of points for a doe, points for a hog, points for a coyote, bobcat, things like that. Um, if you want to know the rules and regs, you can check out Louisiana Bow League on Facebook, get a better... Um, a better uh, idea of the rules and regs. And definitely if you know two other people and you want to sign up, you don't have to hunt together, but all the teams have to be in Louisiana. Um, and it has to be a, a legitimate bow kill. But, um, so y'all scored 523 points. What was, um, your contribution to that last year? Oh, I think, uh, I think I got, let me think. I, I think those were 20 points a piece. So uh, we all definitely maxed out on our does. Um, and my buck ended up scoring right just under 130, uh, real, real late in the season. It was actually the last of our three. Uh, so found me good to get out there. Nice. Very cool, man. So um, you're hunting in northeast Louisiana. Are you hunting on private land or pub- public land? Uh, yeah, it's, it's private. I got just you. Just off the uh, Mississippi River. So um, t- tell us, uh, kind of give us a recap of your bow season in general. Um, you know, what did you end up killing? Did your season go as expected? Did it go worse, better? What? Tell us about it. Well, it was only our uh, second year on the property, so it was still really pretty much a learning year, you know, figuring out what our deer herd looks like, you know, kind of what our age groups are, uh, how's it been managed in the past. 
Um, so, I mean, I started very early last year as I have this year, you know, probably, you know, early August or even late July, uh, getting cameras out, starting to trying to pattern deer, trying to figure out kind of, you know, their, their main areas. Um, so, I mean, by, I'd say by mid September last year, we had, you know, two or three target bucks, um, just that we had run across. And, you know, obviously as the season goes and progresses, um, we found several more, you know, we didn't, we couldn't luck into any of the other ones, but, uh, we definitely managed to get uh, our main target, which was thumbs, which, uh, Wendell, Wendell ended up getting pretty, you know, pretty early in the season. Um, but I mean, overall it was, it was, it was pretty great. Um, had, had a few or several good, several great bow kills and, I definitely got all our all our does that we were we were trying to do. Uh, really trying to uh, manage the pro- manage the place pretty hard. Um, you know, try, try to limit the number of bucks we shoot um, mm-hmm. versus you know trying to get our does uh, way up there. So did do all of y'all did the whole the whole team hunted together on the same property? Uh, yes, all of the deer that we scored for the league came from there. Um, I mean, we've got, you know, other pieces of small places around Alexandria, uh, towards the towards the center of the state. Um, but yeah, all of the deer that we actually tagged and scored for the league actually came from the uh, the same property. Now, if I remember correctly, you can score one buck per person, and you can replace like if you kill a one twenty and then you come back and kill one thirty, you can replace your score with a one thirty later, just for you though. Is that correct? right? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. Okay, so you can kind of upgrade your deer if you kill a big one, bigger one later in the season. Um, and uh, so, how how many acres are y'all hunting over there? We're 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 on about twenty four hundred, but you know, I'd say probably five or six hundred. That is strictly ag, uh, ag field mm-hmm. uh, that we, that you know we lease to a farmer. Whether he you know plants soybeans, corn, rice, just just kind of what up to up to him, but. Yeah, it's a good size uh, piece of property. Uh, it, it, it takes a while to find those deer a lot of times. Now, is it? Um, is it? Did it go underwater in the late season? You said you were near the river. Um, is it affected by Mississippi River flooding at all? Oh yeah, I mean the the two years we've had it so far, um, it's it's been pretty crazy to figure out what's going to flood and what's not. Um, that river comes up, and saturates everything, so the rain you know, all the, all the little bodies and stuff back up. Mm-hmm. Um, so the area we hunted the day before I actually killed my deer, um, was a box stand and we had to put waders on to get to it. And, uh, we sat in, it was, it was really kind of scouting mission. We had, you know, deer swimming into the water, swimming through the water to get to, you know, the little, the little levee that we were hunting. Um, yeah, it definitely, it definitely changed. Um, uh, yeah, when when that when the river floods, there's a, a good bit of acreage across across on the uh, the wet side of the river that pushes you know untold amount of deer over. Mm-hmm. I got you, man. Um, now, so I didn't ask you this earlier. I meant to. Where where do you live? Uh, yeah, I'm from uh, Alexandria. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. And so y'all are dry, what is it like an hour and a half to your place or an hour or something? Uh, about two and a half. Two and a half, man, way off. Okay, um, I. Uh, I know a lot of people struggled with the flooding the last two years. We did an episode on the flooding last year. Um, and, uh, you know, some people in Northeast Louisiana were high and dry. Other people stayed wet from like November on, I think, if I remember correctly. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty bad up there. 
do y'all do y'all have a hog problem on your place you know knock on wood we haven't i have not got a picture of a hog nor seen sign i don't know how um hoping we keep them out but on our our issues is with bears most mostly Mm, yeah that's a that's a side note that's something that i need to get with a biologist this year we want to want to have an episode on the potential of a louisiana black bear season because arkansas has one um arkansas has a Uh, black bear season yeah yeah i I heard a a statistic uh uh maybe three four years back that there's at least five or six bears killed in tensile parish alone just by just by vehicles Mm. wow really yes sir that's a lot i mean uh, this year alone, I've identified probably, I think I think it's five females and one male. Four of the females have twins, and the fifth has triplets. Now, are you mm. are y'all feeding? Yeah, we're feeding soybeans, but we're having a, a you know iPods way up there or use hanging feeders. We're trying to stay away from corn as much as we can because that just draws them in like mm-hmm. crazy. They typically don't like the soybeans, um, what I've found. But I mean, if they're sitting there in a pile, they're not going to tell them. They're not going to turn them down. Interesting. I've never, we have, I've never been. We have two one. bears. I have property probably not too far across the river from you in Mississippi. And we have, I don't know if you've seen this, but our property's in the hills on the bluffs right above the river, the river bottom. Right. And we have two bears. This is a smaller piece of property. We have two bears that show up around May every year and they leave in September. So I find it hard to believe that given our climate that there's the type of hibernation that goes on with bears in other parts of the country. But uh, do you see any of that with where you are? I mean, are they coming and going? Are they pretty much there all year? They're, I mean, we pretty much see them year round, to be honest. Um, I don't, I'm, I don't think they hibernate down here much. Um, I don't really know where they would, to be honest, but um no, I, yeah. I we we see him year round. I've been I've been living up here since, uh, I think February, and I've I've seen him you know at least once a week. Now, have you ever encountered one on your way in or out in the dark on the way to the stand? I've not run into one walking to or from a stand yet. I ran into one, uh, and its cub uh, looking for a deer, and that scared me to death because of all the times that sure. I don't have a pistol on me, it's just sitting there staring one down. Ooh, that's uh, so like people, I know some people that are definitely afraid of hogs. I'm I'm not, maybe I'm not trying to sound like a badass here, but I, I mean, I've, I've walked right up on hogs and never had an issue. The second they smell you, they're, they're gone. I've never walked up on an aggressive one, but I have absolutely zero experience with bears. Like, I feel like that's something, I feel like that's something that happens like to, to other people. <laughs> like it's a story, like it's a story that only oh, happens yeah. to, to yeah. other people. Like that'll never happen to me. And, and I, I get videos of them every year. I get videos of, of them, you know, almost climbing trees that guys are hunting in and tinsaw. And it really makes me wonder if they're, I mean, has anybody ever had any problems, been attacked, been charged or you know, I don't know. These are things. Maybe I can ask the biologist this on the the bear episode. You know, but that's you're. I've never heard of anybody having as many bears as you do on your property. You know, that's man, a, it's it's yeah, it's it's been it's it, it's been disheartening. To that's say the a least large amount of bears. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's been disheartening to say the least to see all the pictures of cubs this year. You know, sure. I mean, yeah, they're adorable. They don't grow up to be that same. You know, 
150, 200 pound mom is going to push up a destroy a camera. Maybe, maybe they're like, maybe they're like your cryptocurrency right now. Like, like you, there's not a whole lot of value in how many bears you have currently. But if they open a season, like you'll be a bear millionaire. You know, like oh. if it if it pays off one day, like you could sell bear hunts and like pay for ten, <laughs> ten years of season. You know, you can finally cash in your your Bitcoin, um, your bear coin. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I, that's I hadn't thought about a bear in the woods ever. Not even when I hunt tinsaw do I think about a bear in the woods. Um, but uh, yeah, they are very much around. That's so. Do y'all have a camp out there, or is it just property? Yeah, yeah, we have a little uh, a little bunkhouse uh, attached to it. And do you have any issues with them near near your stuff out there? No, they're they're pretty scared of you, to be honest. Um, I mean, most of the time you run into them, they're going to waddle off, or they got cubs with them right now, so um, they try to stay in between you and the cubs. Mm-hmm. Um, but for I mean, for the most part, they just you know they're you'll get pictures of them and you run into one every now and then. But my only worries are, uh, when you're tracking deer, cause there's, you know, blood on the ground. Yeah. Well, um, tell me the story of, of the, the buck that you killed for the, um, for the, uh, the bow league. Oh, uh, sure. Sure. Our, uh, our property actually butts up to the Mississippi river levee on the Louisiana side. And, uh, so I was riding along it with my binoculars, kind of scouting, uh, scouting late season ducks and um, I was looking out there, and I saw a ton of deer because the whole world's flooded over there at that time. And uh, so I told one of my buddies later, well, we should, you know, bring our waders and hunt this little box stand, figure figure out what we can do. So we come in um, the day before and set out, you know, a big bag of rice bran, and we hunt it, and you know, we video deer all all afternoon swimming through, you know, chest high water coming straight to that levee to get the uh, rice spring. So about five, 600 yards away, um, we see just two or three racks kind of appear out of nowhere. And they never really gave us just a really good look at them say so far. Um, but I was like, all right, we're going to have to try to figure out how to get in there. Uh, you know, maybe tomorrow morning, tomorrow evening, uh, we decided to go on the following evening. Uh, cause when, you know, if they bedded up in there, we didn't want to push them out or anything. So, uh, we kind of, <clears throat> scouted it from where we were with our binoculars and decided uh that i should sit on the back side of a slough with you know some corn spread out with a little rice band pile uh, in front of me across the slough and it's maybe just it's really more of a ditch you know maybe 15 15 20 uh yards across mm-hmm. so they really wasn't too terribly far away especially for a crossbow i was using because i really couldn't fit um I was sitting in a, uh, at, uh, for back, for lack of a better word, a lawn chair, uh, pushed up against the side of a tree wearing, you know, all camo, mm-hmm. just holding still as I could. And, uh, I had a buddy sitting in that same box stand, uh, that I had sat in the previous afternoon. Uh, so we're sitting there and it starts to, you know, drizzle and then it starts to rain and it's just absolutely miserable and I'm not seeing anything. And, you know, I got my phone. I'm texting, "Hey, man," because he can see everything. I can just see my one little, my one little window that I can shoot through. <clears throat> like, hey, you see anything? Like, you know what's going on? It's like, oh yeah, you know, there's a few deer on the levee, but you know, nothing what you're looking for. Um, so it's kind of cool having a little, a little watchman that could see the area I was hiding in. Um, and finally, there 
let up and uh he texted me he was like hey get ready get ready so I'm, you know I'm, I'm freaking out my heart's racing and uh i got my little crossbow ready i'm looking down the the side end of the corn pile just you know he said all right it's coming right in it's coming right in it and like i swear it was like like five minutes later this thing eases into the sign uh eases into the little the little hole and turns and i, I let it fly so I'm sitting there, just you know, just breathing hard, like oh, I'm like, hey. so I'm sitting there. It's my buddy uh, Rich Oates, and uh, just like, all right, yeah. And I was like, man, I think I hit it good. I think I hit it good. I saw it like hit the ground, and uh, but it got up and kept running. Um, and um, he, he was like, all right, yeah. How, how are we gonna look for it? Because it ran through this uh, incredibly deep ditch. I mean, you, you there's no way you could have crossed it, not even with waders. I mean, it's probably 10, 12 foot deep. It bailed into that thing, got up on the other side. Go put our waders on, go all the way back down, probably 400 yards to where he's, uh, where he's hunting in that box stand. And uh, we walk all the way back around um, to find like a high side to come in on. So we and so we wade through water, probably 400 yards to to get to the edge of where we saw him go in. And, you know, we're kind of looking around, looking, looking around. By this time, it's dark, and we're looking in, you know, knee-deep water for this for this deer. And it's starting to rain again. Um, one of our buddies, uh, Wendell, pulled up on the, uh, the side-by-side. And when he did, he shined his lights over on us. So I could see his horn sticking up. So I'm like, oh, there he is, there he is, there he is. <laughs> so we grabbed him. And then became the question, okay, we want to haul this deer 400 yards backwards through the crud we just waded through. Or because we, we, we or, or what are we gonna do? So we ended up pulling the winch out on the uh, on the little Polaris, and he did across this ditch, and uh, we tied it around his horns and winched him through the ditch, and we walked all the way back around. That's awesome, man! Nice. And that was uh, you said a little over, a little under one thirty. You said. Yeah, one. Let me see, one twenty nine or two eights. Nice. And how many how many uh, points did it have? Oh crap! I think it was eight or nine. Yeah, it was nine. Nine point. That's it was, awesome. It was nine. We actually had pictures of him, um, probably half a mile from there. Uh, we had nicknamed him Tall Brows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, so he had some pretty noticeable uh, route times. Nice. Well, um, what uh, what is your plan for this season? Um, do you have anything that you, you ended last season saying you wanted to change for this year or equipment changes or, or strategy changes or what? Um, you know, last year ended, ended pretty well. Um, we've been doing a lot of, uh, road work on the place and I know that's going to change uh, the dynamic a little bit and we've planted, uh, some different things for, uh, like, for example, we've planted corn uh, in some places for ducks that we did not have last year. Um, that's really changed. Uh, you know, I'm not getting quite as many pictures because there's still uh, other farmers have uh, soybeans that they have yet to harvest. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so this the game, uh, you know, I'd like to see probably three, four, five deer that, you know, maybe have some potential to look at, get some more pictures and make a decision if they're old enough or not. Um I think we've got maybe two right now, and I just kind of lucked up and, and, and 
ran across the road and uh, set up a camera on them and found them. But I mean, so far it's been a very challenging dynamic. I'm, I'm probably running, I don't know, 12, 15 cameras, um, feeding them every day. Um, do you, do you think, uh, in hindsight, you get two seasons behind you. Do you think the flooding, uh, helps you in the long run late season? Uh, late season, absolutely, because it's pushing probably, you know, two thousand acres worth of deer over on us. Because mm-hmm. um, all, I mean, all around us, it's either us or ag fields, and by then, all the ag fields are harvested, unless it's for duck hunting. And really, there's not much for them to eat out in those duck fields by then, anyway. So they all uh, come into us pretty good. I bet you, I bet you, we gain probably. Two or three hundred deer, all off that. Jeez. I mean, it's 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 unbelievable. You can ride by that levee late in the afternoon, you know, eighty to a hundred deer. I mean, at, at that point, it's it's, you know, you really start thinking, okay, I really don't want to hunt that because you know it's almost unfair to the deer in some aspects. Sure, absolutely, yeah. So, um, you know, late season we don't really hunt too terribly hard. Try to give them a break and uh, feed them as much as we can. Yeah. Well, um, that sounds like a good season, man. sounds like y'all got a great piece of property too. Yeah. It's, 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 we, we lucked onto it. It's pretty special so far. Um, putting a lot of, putting a lot of effort into it. I've, I've probably been, you know, I get off work at five, I get there at six and I'll spend from, uh, six to dark. And I've been doing that for about two months, just trying to do everything I can scouting cameras, getting tree stands up, brushing stuff in. Yeah. Uh, I, I got one last question for you and I'm, I'm probably going to ask this to all of our guests when we do like, you know, the hunting specific topics, like, like deer hunting, uh, topics, not just like, uh, you know, other, other ancillary topics that we might talk about. Did, did you, um, find all the deer that you shot last year with your, with your bow? Did you lose any, did you lose any deer? Overall, yes, um, and there's you know tons of factors playing into that. Um, I would say we lost more actually rifle hunting than we did bow hunting mm-hmm. um, because we did a lot of um, a lot of uh, bow hunting early on. You know, typically it's not flooded, um, and uh, there's a lot for. Uh, you know, blood land on. And one of my buddies, Taylor has a really, really nice tracking dog that we'll bring along. Um, but once it gets flooded late in the season, you know, especially around gun season, um, they run through flooded areas and it's, it's, it's a crapshoot, you know, where, you know, where'd he go? I've, you sure. It's kind of walking around. Um, I think we may have lost one doe bow hunting, whereas maybe we lost four or five rifle hunting, you know, around December. And how how many out out of four or five? How many people are included in all that? Let me try to think. And and I bet you, it, I bet you we had probably fifteen people throughout the season, maybe more. Gotcha. Okay. And re- reason I ask is because, um, you know, I had a tough season last year. I lost a few deer, and uh, in talking about that openly with a lot of other people. Um, that seems to be, um, not, maybe not as common as we would like, but it is a part of bow hunting. Um, and sometimes 
doing everything the way that we're supposed to do as ethical hunters still doesn't lead to the recovery of an animal. Um, just like you said, you know, depends on, um, the terrain depends on whether it's raining, depends on if they ran through water, depends on a lot of factors. And, Absolutely. Uh, and so, you know, I'm not trying to sound like a pessimist here or, or be a negative Nancy on like it's such a downer subject, but it's a reality of bow hunting. It's something that we have to deal with. And I don't want to say accept, but if we know it's there, then maybe we make better decisions on shots or shot placement or risky, um, risky situations and things like that. So that's the only right. reason why I ask, but, um, well, man, right. I, uh, I really appreciate your time telling us your story about last season. Um, I'm glad to hear that you're back in the bow league again this year. And, uh, I hope y'all looking it. forward to it. Looking forward to it. Well, um, do you have any questions for us before we jump off of here? Uh, not necessarily questions, but one, uh, one comment you may want to uh, ask, uh, Taylor, Taylor Bates in your next, uh, okay. in your next little segment, uh, ask him about, uh, you talk, talking about tracking deer, uh, you know, does that become difficult to find, uh, ask him about the one he shot on the South end, uh, that we found, you know, maybe two specks of blood on right after it had rained and probably took us an hour or two to find. We'll do. We'll ask him. He's up next. Oh so. Yeah. Cool. That sounds like a good story. I mean, that's some good foreshadowing right there. So <laughs> There you go. Yeah. Appreciate that, man. Well, look, thanks for your time, and uh, and I appreciate you being on with us, man, and we'll talk soon. Absolutely. Y'all take it easy. All right, buddy. See ya. All right, bud. All right, on the line, we've got Taylor Bates from Pineville, Louisiana. Uh, he's a firefighter for the city of Alexandria, and um, if he has to jump off for a call – I guess we'll let it slide, but uh, that would be a pretty cool little uh, exit for a podcast, I think, in my yeah. opinion. Um, so, uh, Taylor, thanks for joining us tonight, man. Yes, sir. Thank you all for having me. Yeah, no problem, man. Happy to have you on. So, um, Team Button Bobby, y'all came in first place, um, a little over 500 points. Y'all almost won the league by over uh, 140 points from um, the second-place team. Out of those – uh, uh, deer or animals that y'all scored, how many of, of those were yours? Um, let me think. I, I had my three does for sure. Um, and I killed one buck with actually, um, I really not don't like admitting this, but I actually shot it with a crossbow. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. That was my one and only crossbow kill I've ever done. Um, it was freaking pouring down rain and I didn't want to, home with a rifle so that's what i took i was in a box stand um, gotcha. i had he scored i don't remember a little over it was just a call seven point um four year old and then i had a uh, two coyote kills i believe oh, no cool. hogs um i killed two coyotes with my bow i never i ain't never killed a coyote in my life and i killed two last year with the bow that's awesome so that was that was pretty cool so you had a you had crossbow kills and bow kills yeah, all my does came with my bow, my compound, and then my uh, I had a crossbow kill in the freaking pouring down rain. What kind? I mean, it was tornado warning. <laughs> it was it was pretty wild. Now, are you hunting the same place as, as Teddy? Yes, we all three all get to hunt the same piece of property. Gotcha. That's awesome. That's, um, yeah, he yeah. he was telling us that um, it kind of flooded around rifle season, late season. Yeah. Um, um, Matter of fact, the buck I killed was right 100 yards from the Mississippi River levee. 
That's awesome, man. Yeah, I, that's one of the questions I just asked him. I said, I said, you know, a lot of people are really affected by the flooding. It sounds like the flooding tends to help y'all. It kind of concentrates or pushes yeah. deer onto y'all's property. Y'all are fortunate to have something that stays above the water line when it gets real high yeah, like that. Definitely. So you know, and I uh, and I got a place in Mississippi as well. That's kind of the same way. We're, you know, we we flood all our swamp. We're the first set of hills off the river. So a lot of it floods, but it pushes deer up into our hills, but we usually have to boat in, you know, um, mm-hmm. but that ain't a big deal, but it, it makes for good hunting. I hate it for these places that, you know, pay all these millions of dollars, but you know, it's just part of hunting on that river. Absolutely. No doubt. So, um, what kind of bow are you shooting? Um, I shoot a PSE Evolve. Nice. Uh, 70 pounds. Um, you know, uh, I've been shooting that bow for three or four years now. Mm-hmm. Um, the year it came out, that's I a, think it's the fourth year. That's a uh, yeah. It is. This is their fourth year, or, or yeah, this is their fourth year of the Evolve Cam, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. Um, the same. It, you know, I, it was the year the Carbon Air came out. Mm-hmm. Um, I am Locke. This is a, a fun fact for you. I am. Uh, switching to a carbon stealth Mach One this year. Yeah, oh, really. What was yeah, the reason uh, for that? Um, well, it has a lot to do with the fact that it's pretty badass, uh, mm. and I'm getting it with the FL mods, which is speed mods. I'm very excited about it. Very excited is, about it. Is it pretty yeah. light? It's super light. I think it's three point two pounds. Three. It's either yeah. three point two or three point four. Um, cool. It's 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 super light. Um, and, uh, I, I like, uh, a real jumpy cam. I like, um, uh, I don't like a lot. I do not like a lot of let off, which is when you put that FL mod on there, it, it takes that 90% let off and I think it reduces it to 75%, which is what I like. Um, and uh, feet per second up. Yep. Feet per second up. And, um, and I'm pretty excited about it. It's not here yet, but I'm pumped. I'm really pumped. It's a big step for you. It is, man. Given your allegiance to that that 2013 yeah it's a it's a prime 2013 prime prime. and i love that boat it's a great boat it's fast that's why i haven't got rid of it 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 rivals the speed of anything that's that's been out in the last seven years um don't fix it if it ain't broken yeah and and well you know man i i i did um i did a trad bow year a couple of years ago and um it is addicting having light equipment um, yeah. like I remember that was the best part about hunting traditional was that it, it just felt like I didn't, I wasn't bringing in a bow. It wasn't mm-hmm. like this anchor of this thing that I was hauling around. It was just like, it was like a walking stick, you know, and I wanted something light again and, um, had how, a good how much have you shot? How much have you shot this model bow before you ordered one? I'm assuming you had to, have, huh? um, man, if I had to count, I could probably do it on one hand. Zero. I never see, shot it. See, yeah. here's, here's, so here's my it. my input to that, and and this is an issue that I've had, and for for uh, background information, I shoot Hoyt, and yep. I've shot Hoyt for a long time. So Hoyt also does the carbon risers, and I I purposely have stuck with an aluminum riser bow because while I agree with all of the ergonomics that you're talking about when it comes strictly down to just shooting 
I just, I, th- those carbon bows are too light in my hand. Uh, I just, uh, I like having I a little bit of weight in my that. hand. I feel like it helps me with my whole, you know, my whole process of, of anchoring and stabilizing and having that rhythm with, you know, I shoot a, a thumb release, a handheld thumb release and all. And, and so my shot process is a huge part of what I'm doing. And so it's, it's, it's almost like a, a baseball or a golf swing or something. There's this repetition and rhythm to it. And your release is just as important as anything else. And, and I find that having that light, super lightweight bow in my hand, it affects me tremendously because it wants to get away from me. It wants to move. And I just feel like, See what? I don't want to use the word anchor. Why can't you just be happy for me, Locke? Why can't you just? I am happy for you. I'm just. I'm I'm just. uh, (laughs) I just. If I'm being honest, from a friend standpoint, (laughs) I wish you would have shot it a time or two. Okay, so I have. I haven't shot it. I did. Sorry, I didn't shoot it before I ordered it. Um, I have shot it since. I have shot it at a local archery shop, and I do still like it. Of course. I'm I'm very self-aware and I absolutely could only be biased because of a current honeymoon period. Um, and I might get into the end of October and want to snap the thing over my leg. But right now, I'm pretty excited about it just because it's a change. And in yeah. like in and you you know me and how deliberate I am and how uh methodical and and um it's a word I'm looking for. Granular, I can be in making details, making decisions. Excuse me, and uh, I do feel I agree with you. This is a bit of a knee jerk uh, purchase for me. Yeah. Um, but it's also, you know, look. This is the only thing I'm changing. I'm still gonna wear real tree extra shirts with my mossy oak bottomland pants. Okay. <laughs> like I'm still like I haven't changed entirely. This is just one thing. You know, I guess if I was a girl, this would be like the equivalent of like me, like dyeing my hair blonde, you know, that it's just like this, this weird left field decision. Upgrade. Yeah. I'm pretty excited, man. I'm pumped. And the other thing is I'm a big guy and I'm strong and I can manage my bow. So there's that, you know, so uh, I'm happy for you, Kyler. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't believe you. I don't believe you, but (laughs) But Taylor knows how cool the Evolve cams are, and PSC has really stepped it up on um, their quality and their reputation and what they're putting out in the last four or five years. I, I, uh, I don't think I've seen a bow company make as extreme and positive of an improvement over a line of bow as I've seen PSC do. Um, I shot one today, actually. A friend of mine who doesn't bow on a whole lot, he bought a new psc a couple years ago with the evolve cam and he brought it to me the other day and said hey man take this home and shoot it for me make sure everything's good before i start getting ready for the season because he didn't bow hunt at all last year it's been sitting up mm-hmm. and i gotta admit you know I, I i pulled it out of his case i checked it you know just make sure everything looked good and i i walked up there close like 10 yards to you know shoot the first arrow to make sure you know in case something was drastically wrong and i was you know when i let it go i was like dang that's pretty nice I, I, I've shot PSE personally. I've had a couple of PSE bows over the years, and but I haven't shot one in a while. Mm-hmm. And I was uh, I was pleasantly surprised. And, and you know, of course, then I backed up to twenty twenty five and shot a few arrows out of it just to make sure everything was was good for him. And uh, you know, just to, to I guess just to add into the to to the comments, I 
I have to say, um, as a Hoyt guy who is very religious about my bows, I, I, I like the way that PSC felt. It felt good. It felt yeah. a lot like my old, I had the original X-Force GX, I think it was, like the first speed bow they came out with. Mm-hmm. And um, I love that bow. And it brought me back to that a little bit. So Taylor, do you, do you have it at the ninety percent let off, or is it backed off a little yeah. bit? No, I got it at ninety. Um, you know, just just for the reason, in case you know, I do have to stay drawn back for such a long time. You know, uh, it's still shooting a touch over three hundred foot per second. You know, three ten or something. So, what's your what's your draw length? Twenty. Uh, twenty nine. Okay. Yeah. Twenty nine and a half, something like that, and it's—I mean, it's cooking. It really is. I was really surprised. Well, so um, so the um, back back about five years ago, um, well, it started with the um, not once it started, but it really kicked off with the no cam from Matthews. That was back mm-hmm. when um, we started. We bow companies started putting emphasis on comfort over like top line performance and that's like the marketing changed and the sales pitches changed and everybody like they wanted you to feel like you were drinking a mimosa on a private island somewhere when you were drawing your bow back they wanted you to be so comfortable while you were drawing and i was like shootability i was like yeah yeah we love we loved mock elite's makeup word made up word of shootability um well and so that's what happened is like bows they they stopped putting emphasis on speed and not, not because it's that important, but because for a long time, your performance of your bow was majorly hinged on how fast it was. As, I mean, yeah. high, high country was all about this in the early two thousands. And, um, and, and you had overdraws and, and all these crazy you know, short arrows and all this stuff. Cause people are trying to get up over 300 and 320 feet per second. Well, then that became the norm. You know, everybody had a 330 IBO bow. And once everybody's battling at 332 and 335 IBO bows, we have to find a differentiator. And so the two most ridiculous ones are shootability, right? Um, And then um, dead in the hand. That drives me crazy. That is the most worthless uh, attribute. I think. Yeah, I think the tentacles, the tentacles of, of that switch in marketing and drive, led to some kind of out there stuff with the shootability and 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 all that kind of stuff. But I think we could probably all admit that pragmatically, it's it is actually a, a very pragmatic decision in terms of as bow hunters. To your point, pretty much every bow on the shelf, if you go searching for a new bow has you know the engineering has gotten to the point where yeah, we're all we're good. there there's so no bad bow. what's most yeah. what's most important is the comfort and the ergonomics that, of like. you to be able to to perform with that bow because they're all going to kill a deer you're not talking yeah. about i've got to set my bow up in a way where i've actually got enough kinetic energy to to kill a big body deer and that used to be a thing back when yeah. you know when yeah, bow yeah. engineering was was still up and coming and and some bows, literally, you had to make an absolute perfect shot just to kill the deer. And nowadays, you know, making a perfect shot's more about, am I shooting the right bow that really fits me and that it yeah. is really comfortable? Yeah. So, I mean, pragmatically, the marketing, whether that was their intention or not, is actually smart because I think it's improved. It's improved um, our, our I, don't know, I don't know what success rates are. I mean, there's no way for any of us to know that. But I think it's improved the average 
everyday bow hunter, it's improved their ability from a tree stand when they're shooting a razor bladed tip at a live creature. And, and, and not only that, I think a lot of the marketing, the byproduct of it is, um, is, is confidence building, uh, in the, in the consumer. Um, you know, you, you feel like you, if you feel like you have, if you feel like you have extremely capable equipment, then you become, you feel like you become extremely capable. Um, and, uh, but so you're shooting 90% let off and, and the evolve was a heavier bow. It was aluminum riser in that, right? You had like the first evolve. Yeah. I forget the actual weight. It, you know, it was was when the carbon air and the evolve came out. And to be honest, I, I, at first I wanted the, I think I was right out of high school or something. So I didn't have a whole lot of money. <laughs> so I went with the cheaper one at the time. And I really like, um, uh, what, um, what's his name? Lock said, uh, I like a little heavier bow now mm-hmm. that yeah. I shoot, you know, I feel a lot more stable, you know, when I release and, you know, I'm not pulling or nothing kind of like a heavier rifle, you know, when you're shooting a gun, you know, you're, you're a lot more accurate with a heavier gun, less, you know, recoil and all that. Sure. Me personally. Well, but, um, well, for the the Mach One, this carbon stealth that's out this year, um, that is a, 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 another reason why I like that low let off is because if you give me a super light bow and ninety percent let off lock, I agree with you a million percent. I'm you blow on me from ten yards away, and I'm going all over the place with that bow. When you get down to seventy five percent, you ha- like you can't stop shooting it. Um, kind of like they say, like don't stop flying the airplane. You know, like you never you never get lazy, you never relax, you never get complacent in a sense. Um, and so I, what I'm anticipating, and this is from a person that doesn't have his bow yet that ordered it without shooting it. So I, <laughs> highly aware of my hypocrisy here. Okay. Um, my, my belief is yes, it's a light bow. I like that for like a, uh, um, a pack in standpoint, but when you get to 75% let off versus 80, 85, or, or even 90 option, I, I, you get immediate feedback if you get out of form or you start getting tired. It doesn't matter if, if you have a heavy bow or a light bow, you immediately are going to have that jump your cam that shallow valley and you get like there's there is no variance for laziness there's no 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 allowance of laziness i mean Mm -hmm. so um because i can't i can't shoot that um high let off on any bow i don't care if it's like that's why i i despised the elites that i shot because like if i ever wanted to let down i felt like i had to push the thing forwards and that that's a weird feeling that's how mine is really weird that's an odd feeling like this feeling of like hey this should have gone off by now you know i've i've really let a lot of pressure off my back shoulder and now it's it's still not going what's going on um but um anyway so you're shooting in evolve and then kind of got off that's the first tangent of the year that's fun (laughs) um shooting in evolve and um do you have are you gonna stick with that bow for this year yeah this is gonna be my last year with it i'm gonna uh like you said, it's time for a change um, after this season. I just got, you know, I shoot traditional too as well. Um, Very cool. And I, I, uh, I play with a boat, you know, throughout the year. And I, I shot my recurve, you know, all through the off season, mainly it. Because really you have to. My compound away. Yeah, you have to. You're right. 
and I, uh, when it got down time to it, I was like, should I get a new one or should I just keep it? And, you know, I shoot it so well. So I was like, I'll just keep it for another year and uh, I'll get something, you know, next year, probably find a, a good one. You know, you know, how people are buying new ones every year. You get a, a real nice one, pretty cheap. Um, sure. So I'm going to, I'm so going to look for where, something. So where'd the name button Bobby come from? I'm getting us back on track here, Kyle. Yeah. <laughs> where'd the name button Bobby come I don't from? Know. I just, I don't know. We just joke around, you know, who's going to shoot a button head or just button Bobby, you know, just, I don't know. Just, is I that, is that what y'all call spikes? They're a button head, you know, button button head, yeah. or just kind of grew up saying that. Yeah. Gotcha. I don't know. So not, the, the backstory behind really. this is I'm the guy on the podcast that has a really difficult time being creative with naming stuff, like particularly bucks that we get on camera, you know, mm-hmm. there's oh, episodes. Yeah. If you if you get, if you listen back at the Louisiana Bowden podcast, so I'm always trying to up my game here, right? You know, like I want to have the kind of deer named where people are like, "Oh, that's cool. Where'd you come up with that?" And I was I was hoping you guys were gonna gonna provide some <laughs> research and development on that. But it was an unacceptable just, answer. <laughs> that's uh, funny. Teddy let me down with his with answer, it. and now you're not doing any better. So good job. So yeah, lock 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 has very literal names for things. Lock will be like he'll name deer like you know slanted seven point, you know, <laughs> or, or you know or you know something something non non creative, which is hilarious because yeah. he like is great at like videography and creativity in that aspect, but when it comes to like. The na- like I have to name all the episodes that before like that's how I know when Locke's done with the editing is because I'll get a text that says what do you want to name this one yeah <laughs> he for, does for it. the he podcast does all the, all it's, the it's a mental block man I'm telling you I'm just I I don't know I need one of these I watch I, you know watch hunting shows and different things and these people are after this buck on this this episode and they got this big backstory about how they named it and I'm like man. That kind of stuff never happens to me, you know. I just, yeah. it's just, it's just. Look, the there's a wide eight point, so he's the wide yeah. eight. Yeah, you know? that's, he's that's a wide how eight. we are yeah. kind of, you know. Unless there's one that just kind of gets under my skin, you know, I'll, I'll come up with a name with one, but it's very rare. Like well, I was expecting Bobby to have a, a, the some big kind ten, of... the tight ten, or something. Yeah. So, kinda... so who's Bobby? I don't know. What does Button Bobby. I don't. I don't even know who Bobby. <laughs> that's, just, that's just what Bobby's the deer. Lock. Come on, man. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And he's got button. Buttons. He's got buttons. I'm. I'm trying my best to prod you into a good story for this. You know. Uh, I really don't have one. I, I just kind of <laughs> grew up. You know, my dad. I can just remember saying a button Bobby or something. I, I. I feel like I got it when I was a kid. I don't know why. I just came up <laughs> with that name, joking around. You well, know, but, so so you're you're back in the league this year, right? You're gonna have the yes. same ten same team members, same team, um, and hunt in the same um, place. What? Um, tell tell me about. You said you hunt traditional, also. What kind of bow are you shooting? Um, I have a Luna, a Galaxy Luna. I I really don't know. A buddy of mine, Colin Garcia. He's yeah he works here at the fire department. Um, he shoots traditional, and he he kind of. You know, I'm not as big into it as him. I, I, I love shooting them. You know, I, I don't have, I, I didn't spend a whole lot of money on it. You know, because you can spend just as much as you would a compound or oh, a yeah. recurve or a longbow. And you know, and I, it's about a 
three or four hundred dollar bow. I, I think it's a Galaxy or something. It, it ain't a very high name brand, you know. Um, and it's just a fifty pound takedown recurve. Um, you know, I, first off, I jumped in. I just got a cheap Samix Sage and just was shooting it, you know. And ever and I wound up killing one with it. And then I was like, well, I want something a little more smooth. I wanted to upgrade a little bit, and mm-hmm. uh, I bought that one and. I plan on hunting with it a little bit this year. Um, I'd like to kill a buck with it. I've never killed a buck. I've killed uh, three or four does and a couple of pigs. Uh, but I really would like to kill a buck with it, even if it's just a little, you know, a little guy or something. Uh, but I'm going to, I think after this season, I'm going to, I really want to upgrade on it too. I would really like to get two, a new compound and a new traditional boat just because i love it you know it the challenge of it is this well, it's like nothing you, you know you've got you know you've got craig archery right there in pineville you yeah get a custom i, I do I, um and i know his grandson sean pretty yep. well mm-hmm. um i went to graduate high school with him um and he i've talked to him a couple times and he said he can get me i'm gonna, that's who i plan on going to to get me hooked up i'd like to get a custom one or I mean, you or can get a you, you can know, get a full, full custom bow for you know, depending on, you know, whether you want to take down or, or a single piece, but, um, you can get a full custom bow, like pick your wood, pick your poundage, pick your laminate, pick, I mean, pick your damn string, string color, length, everything. You can get it for like, I don't know what their pricing is now, but some are right around the five, $600 range, which is yeah, a steal that's what I'm do for, for sure. a bow that's made just for you, you know? Yeah, um, definitely. So, yeah, Mister Mister Pat Craig is a is a character. He's he's, you know, I've been to Craig Archery a lot, and it's one of my favorite places to go. And um, time stands still there. Um, like when you're there, thirty minutes, thirty. You feel like you've been there thirty minutes, but you've actually been there four hours. Yeah, um, uh, that's it, what I hear. Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess that's the opposite of standing still. Time is accelerated there. Yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, check them out, man. Sean, um, Sean, and his dad and Mr. Pat Craig, they all um, build fantastic bows, and it's just they're they're good people to know in general. I, I highly yeah. recommend them. Um, yeah, well, when you said you wanted to kill a buck with your trad bow, what have you killed so far with it? A doe? Uh, I've killed three does, um, and. I've stuck two pigs. I actually stuck them right here, right the day before the hurricane came here by the house, and uh, they ran into some freaking thick, thick stuff. And I blood trailed them all the way to it. And I really didn't. I went in a little ways, and I couldn't even hardly walk or crawl in it. So I backed out. I said, hmm. "This ain't even worth it." But um, you know, I was just been shooting it, and I just wanted to get some live practice before the season started. That's a great way to do it, right there on some hogs. Yeah. Um, so when, when you shoot deer, do, those does with your bow, um, do, uh, do you remember the shot? Well, like, are you going through like structured motions of shooting or is it like this kind of instinctive, like, don't put a whole lot of thought into it process. For you? <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. When I, the first one, I had nine does come in at one time. Hmm the first time I ever went with my recurve and uh, everything that I've learned about shooting a recurve went out the window. I missed so bad. <laughs> it was, it was like 10 yards and I completely whiffed. And then one of them, you know, they just kind of scattered and one of them came back and uh, um, 
I wind up getting, you know, I, I shot her at a little, about 20 yards. Um, I hit her a little back, but I wind up recovering her. And, uh, but I get so jacked up with it. <laughs> it's like everything I've, you know, I tell myself to slow down and, and, you know, and go through, you know, it's all muscle memory, go through it all, my anchor and, and release. And when it comes down to the actual hunting, it's like everything just, I forget everything I learned. Yeah, absolutely, it, man. Well, it's like shooting my first deer, you know, It's when I broke that thing out. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. I, I enjoy it. It makes you a better hunter. You you pick more, um, like, high percentage spots to hunt because you only have you know, a place to have one or two options for a shot, not like this yeah. 360, 50-yard in all direction option. Um, so that's, that's awesome, man. I, I, I love to hear people that, that shoot trad and I don't know a lot of people that kind of mix it in like you do. That's kind of, that's like finding a golfer that, that plays baseball also, you know, like yeah. usually not a good mix, you know, no, it's really not, yeah. it, uh, um, you know, and I, I'd like to get into it more, you know, I like watching, uh, Harmon Carson and all those guys, man, that I think it's so awesome. Uh, and that a couple of YouTube guys, you know, speaking, of, speaking of Harmon Locke, this year, uh, this year we need to, uh, we need to have a countdown clock that starts at like daybreak on opening day of October 1st. And like, we need to time how long it takes Harmon to kill something this year. Yeah. Like, it won't be long. Yeah. He's, he's usually pretty quick on it. Oh, he's got a, he's got a baby this year. It doesn't he's got a matter. Baby, so it, it may, He'll, style he'll like t- he'll take bring it, it with him yeah he'll like put it on a, on his back or yeah. something he'll have a set yeah he'll 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 rig up that saddle somehow to be a yeah baby carrier and yeah he'll still kill cradle he'll have his own little cradle for it but um, so so um what are you gonna do this year uh, or are you going to do anything different this year than you did last year um yeah uh you know, I was in a couple of different leases around here, you know, somewhere close to to home because the way our schedule works, you know, I, I work 24 hours off 24 hours, work 24 hours off 24 hours, work another 24 hours and we're off, you know, four or five days in a row. So my in-between days, I have places, you know, I used to hunt around here between public and I had several leases. Um, I wind up getting rid of all those. I just you know, I felt obligated to go to them because I'm paying money to sure. hunt there. And, uh, you know, it was stressful because I had, you know, you didn't know where to go. I got a little piece of property I hunt at my mom's house that, you know, it's got some really good deer on it, but it's very hard to hunt due to very, you got to have the most perfect wind to get slip in there without getting busted. And um, so I had, you know, I was always jumping around. It was kind of stressful because it was kind of too much. You know, it was like, man, I, I don't know where to go. I should you know, you go one spot and you're like, dang, I should have went to the other spot, you know, and I, I got rid of the leases. I, I'm going to take a step back and just kind of go with the flow, hunt a lot more public around here, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, you know, the weekends or whenever Teddy and Wendell can get away from work, I have a lot more open schedule than they do. You know, they work five, five days a week, you know. Um, so whenever they get a, I'll try to slip up there and go hunt with them when they get to go. And uh, really here, I'm just going to, hunt that one little section at my mom's that you know when if the wind is right and then other than that i'm just gonna really hunt some public land bounce around 
national force and a couple of the WMAs around here. Now, now um, as, as a firefighter, do you have, I, I don't, I don't know if this is common or not, but I, Garrett Ramsey and Chase Metz are both my friends that are on the Baton Rouge fire department. Mm-hmm. They, I, I want to say, I'm pretty sure they, they work 11 days out of the month. Are you on a days, sim- yep, similar way. schedule? Yeah. Man, very similar. talk about a dream hunting job. It's nice, but you know the pay is. I wish we could get a little better pay, but it's. I'm not. I didn't join this. I didn't take this job for the pay. You know, I did it for the benefits and the sure. time off. And I train dogs on the side. Um, so, come you know duck season, November, mid November, I'll be free till February first. So yeah, Teddy. Um, Teddy told us uh, we're supposed to ask you. He was very specific lead in. Um, about a blood trail doe on the south end of the property. You're supposed <laughs> uh, to. That's all we know. So take yeah, it from here. Uh, well, it was opening weekend. Uh, it wasn't opening weekend. It was. It was the first weekend we made a big trip up there. Um, you know, second week in October, I think. And uh, Teddy, he had the worst luck. Like me and Wendell, first first evening we got there we both shot does you know we try to shoot our does real early up there mm-hmm. um just due to getting because you got to shoot so many you know big piece of property like that you got to take so many off of it and uh teddy wasn't seeing nothing i mean this place you can go anywhere and see 10 15 deer uh, i mean it's that kind of place yeah he wouldn't see anything i mean he was garling himself on his own place um <laughs> and he finally what evening he he texted us. He said, I got a doe down. Um, and they hunt, they got a lot of, uh, big box stands with bow windows in them. Mm -hmm. And, uh, he said, I got good penetration and, uh, I, I didn't really look for blood. I just kind of backed out. I was right at dark. I I think I hit her good. It was a nice size doe. (laughs) And so I got a dog, uh, a little mountain cur lab mix. Uh, she's a unbelievable blood dog. Well, we pull up there and we let her out. And she just takes off right where the deer runs in. Well, she stops like 10 yards into the woods, like right there off the road. I'm like, is she on the deer? So I walk over there and sure enough, the doe is, I mean, it was a little doe, about 60, 70 pounds, I guess. And it's just laying there and we're like, dang, well, good shot, Teddy. We're, we're all high five and whatnot. And we're like, where'd you hit it at? And <laughs> we flipped the deer over. And the air is sticking right out of his ass, just straight oh, up man. the asshole. And the deer, I'm telling you, it didn't run. It didn't run 15 yards. It was, it was piled up. Texas hard shot, huh? I mean, smoked it. And he, I guess the deer turned. He said it was quartering away, and I guess it turned when he shot. And you know, this box stand has these big bow windows, big long ones. He shoots it out of the little rifle window, the little one. I don't <laughs> even know. It's it's. You know, a little rifle stand yeah. out of a box, and he shoots it, and basically straight. I don't even know how he did it, to be honest. I don't know how he shot out of that box stand window straight underneath him, like ten yards. <laughs> it it was just the fun. We got it all on video, man. It was it was great. That's, That's awesome. one of the funniest memories of the last season for sure. So, so are you? Um, you say you train dogs. Are you uh, like a blood tracker when one of the blood tracker groups? Um, no, I plan on doing it this year. Uh, you know, I train mainly hunting retrievers. Um, I really want to get into some blood. I got two blood dogs just from, you know, hunting, you know, personally. Um, but I'm going to 
joined one of, I joined them on Facebook and whatnot. I want to, you know, put my name out there and do some tracking on the side, you know, when I'm not working. And I, I actually just bought a, a, a tracking collar and all that. So I, I'm going to do some this year whenever, if anybody calls and whatnot around our area. Mm-hmm. Nice, man. That'll be fun. I like doing that. That's some fun. I, I love watching them. You know, I like watching all kinds of dogs work personally, you know. Now, what's, uh, what's the name of your, your training um, business? Um, I actually really doesn't have a name. A buddy of mine, uh, Rich Oates, he, uh, he trains, uh, he does it full time. He has about 18 to 20 dogs and, you know, I just do it on the side. I got six dogs from the fire department. So I, I really just take his overflow, mm-hmm. um, when he doesn't have room. That's basically how I work. I, I really don't have a name. Uh, can know, I suggest I, button Bobby? Yeah, you should name yeah. it. Uh, yeah, Button Bobby Kennels. <laughs> that's right. Um, BBK. There you go. You're welcome. Yeah, that's right. That's I'll funny. Do that. Well, um, <laughs> so let me ask you this. I asked the same thing to uh, to Teddy earlier, and I'm probably going to ask a lot of people this um, throughout the season. Did um, did you lose any deer last year, last season? Yes, I um, I lost one doe, uh, right there mid first part of. The last doe I shot, um, I had a, I don't know, 10 or so out in a food plot. And uh, a couple of bucks were chasing him around. Uh, real nice. One, the evening was a, a real nice 10 pointer. He, he was a four year old, about 140 inch deer, you know, bigger than probably anything I've ever killed my bow, but, you know, it was one of the ones we can't shoot. And he's chasing him around, and a doe comes out 30 yards. And I was trying a new broadhead, um, a grim. Uh, grim reaper whitetail extreme mm-hmm. and it, and i don't think it was the broadhead's fault by any means but uh doe was 30 yards and she was quartering i knew she was quartering to me but i didn't think it was that extreme and i shot and i hit kind of right where i was aiming right behind the shoulder but when she took off i could see her guts hanging out and uh she hit the water uh swam a big slough and we lost you know, we tracked blood all the way to the water and got the dog out. She never could pick up on it. Um, went the next day, found where she come out of the slough and then eventually just lost blood. That thing, WRP is so thick. I mean, mm-hmm. the, I, the dog never found her. Um, I, I think the deer died. Um, we just never could recover. I, I mean, we grid searched. We looked everywhere for it. and It was frustrating, but, you know, it's just bad shot placement on my part i should have put it more into the shoulder um and that's that's the only deer i lost last year mm, yeah uh-huh. it's it's tough man um and that's that's what we're asking is because i think um i i think um there's a lot of bow hunters listening or or get, just not getting into it that um i don't want to say that they're naive about losing deer um but they they might be rightfully so very upset when it happens and it's kind of an odd message to send but it is a part of bow hunting it is going to happen if you haven't lost a deer you will um and uh you know i don't want to i don't want to make that sound like it's acceptable like we shouldn't be taking you know these these outlandish shots and and hoping that we, we cut the tail off and it dies um but at the same time, things are 
things are out of our control and um yep. you know we try and do our, our part ethically and sometimes it just doesn't work so uh, and exactly. then and then other times you shoot them in the ass and they die at 15 yards exactly you know just like that it, yeah it, you know i've seen some of the craziest things happen like that um but you know like you said if you if you if you bow hunt long enough it's gonna happen you're gonna miss you're gonna you're gonna you know wound one you know it's just part of it I've, i shot the biggest deer in louisiana i've ever shot at or anything i i shot him high you know i rushed my shot with my bow um and hit him in no man's land and at 18 yards i thought he was a little further than what he was probably a 145 150 inch eight point i mean mm. it was just and you talk about sickening but, sure and i was you know even the doe i was just as sick when i couldn't find her as that dang book i just hate doing it you know i, I hate losing anything when it comes to duck hunting or squirrel hunting or anything it just it's it's not fair you know it just sucks it's just a bad feeling absolutely it tears me up for sure well um man we uh we we uh need to get on the phone with wendell do you have uh you got any questions for us before we uh, jump off of here i i don't think so man i i really appreciate your time um you know, great stories i appreciate the the um the, the uh the story on that dough or shooting the dough out of the box stand and yeah. uh, I hope that y'all hope y'all um, can fight for first place again this year and have a great season, man. I appreciate it. And uh, tell Wendell that uh, tell him he's welcome for putting him on the the big deer that kind of pushed us over the edge last year. Oh, you okay? We'll set we'll set him up for that. You did that? Yeah, yeah I, I found it for him. Um, Perfect. And I actually had the deer at forty seven yards, and I was wanting him to come at least a little bit closer, but. Uh, he slipped in there when I had my girlfriend hunting with us, so he uh, got in there and killed him. Hmm. There you go, man. We'll bring it up. Well, perfect, right. dude. Hey, Y'all take care, brother. Thank you, man. I'll, I'll talk it. to you soon, Taylor. All right. Take care. Bye. All right, guys, last up, we're on the phone with Wendell Luno out of Lafayette, Louisiana. Wendell, really appreciate you joining us tonight, man. Hey, thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. So, uh, from what we understand, you were kind of like the big buck uh, breadwinner for last year's Louisiana Bow League, um, and Taylor and Teddy have both uh, kind of given you credit for having the deer that pushed y'all hard into the lead. Uh, tell us about it, man. Yeah, man, uh, I, I appreciate the, uh, appreciate them giving me the credit. Um, it's kind of more of a team effort on this deer. So the piece of property went up there in Madison Parish. This deer actually popped up last year with a big seven-point we were chasing. And um, we noticed immediately off the back, he's a pretty eight-point. Uh, we couldn't really tell if he was, you know, four or five years old. But he had very distinguishable brown tines. They looked both like thumbs, so that's how you got the nickname thumbs. Yeah. And uh, last last year, we kind of uh, – we hunted around. It was a new piece of property we were hunting on. Didn't really know it that well. Like I said, we were chasing that seven-point he was with, trying to get him. And um, saw thumbs several times last year, bow hunting. And just decided to give him a walk each time. So we come into last season and we put cameras out. And sure enough, kind of in his soft grounds, he shows up. And uh, he's coming. He's, he's a beautiful eight point, just a lot of mass, a lot of character to him. He's got split G2s on both sides. He's got a kicker off one of his brow tines. Just absolutely beautiful deer. We knew exactly how old he was this, this, this year coming up. We knew he was going to be a shooter. So we're running cameras hard. And uh, we're getting at this one spot for about a week. And, and this time, me and Teddy are both in school. So, you know, we're, we're, we're down in Baton Rouge. And like, we're getting these pictures every day while we're in class with our cell games. 
and we're fired up, you know, ready to get up there and get after them. And uh, it just disappears. I mean, just absolutely disappears. Can't find them. So, you know, you know how it is that when you get this big buck on camera and then, you know, all of a sudden he disappears. And you're like, all right, what happened? What changed? What, what's going on? So we try to regroup. We're putting cameras out, trying to figure out where he went. And for a couple of weeks, we can't find him. And then Taylor has this idea. He's like, I'm going to go hunt a certain stand on the north side of the property just to see what's up there. We really hadn't fooled around with it. And sure enough, Taylor hunts it that morning sees him coming across a big. He comes from a uh, – he was bedding down by a bayou, and he came across a food plot Taylor was hunting and just kind of skirted the edge of it next to some CRP and then disappeared in the woods. So that was the last day of the uh, – I think of that, that week when we were hunting. So we threw a camera up there, and sure enough, had him come in morning and afternoon. And we figured out that he was bedding down next to that bayou, like we said. He'd sneak out every morning, stop right there, give a little bite to eat, then head on to the CRP. And then about 30 minutes before dark, every every afternoon, he'd come by, give him a little bite to eat, and go back down and bed down. And y'all know how those old bucks get. They get they get very – they have a – you know, during the rut, they have a big range. When it's not the rut, they're very, I guess I'd say, homebodies. Mm-hmm. They have that one little area they stick to and they don't move. And that was him to a, to a T. So we get there. And honestly, I'm going to give the credit to this as well as the cell cams. I don't think I would have killed this deer had we not had these cell cams out. So we get we get down to the camp. We decide it's the LSU-Alabama game that weekend. We decide, you know, we're not going to stay for the game. We're going to go hunt. So we get there. We get geared up Saturday morning, and I'm like, I'm going to go get him. We're about to leave the camp. We're loading up, and Teddy goes, hold on, wait. I just got an email on my phone from the pictures. So we open it up, and sure enough, he's there. He's eating right there at the same time we're about to load him and go to him. So we make this the game time decision to not go in there. We're going to go hunt somewhere else in the afternoon. So we get done, and uh, – like I said, wait that afternoon. No, he's there. And uh, we, we finally decided to go. And Teddy's like, I'm going to come with you. And it's a terrible win for where we're hunting. And to kind of give you all a setup, we're hunt- we got some hybrid box blinds that have bow windows out of them. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a terrible win, a win for where he's going to be. So I'm like, we're going to have to shut all the windows for the whole night until he pops out. And, you know, it's the LSU-Alabama game. So we're like, you know, I kind of I want to stay and watch the game. But at the same time, you know, I really, really want to kill this deer. Sure. So – so we make the game house just like, look, we'll just we'll pull the we'll pull the phone up on uh or pull the game up on our phones and get some updates on it and see if we can kill this. This is a very Teddy. this is a very bougie bow hunt, by the way. Oh, it is. No, it, it, yeah. it is very. I mean, like we sneak in there, sit down, pull. We're getting like we got the little I think it's ESP and app that's giving us updates like every I think every two minutes, and we're sitting right there. You know, we're watching. Getting this up, we're freaking out in the stand. I'm surprised he didn't come out for how much we were hooping and hollering, trying to, <laughs> trying to, trying to, trying to see if LSU would actually pull the game out or not. And we're sitting right there, we got the video camera set, set up, and like, like, like to a T, like 30 minutes before, we got a few does out. And Teddy sees him before I do. He goes, he goes, I think that's him coming to the woods right there. And I was like, Where? I can't see him. And he goes, That's him. He's like, Get your bow ready. So I get my bow. He's going to turn the video camera on. He turns the video camera on. And he goes, he's about to pop out where he can see you. And sure enough, he comes sliding out of the CRP, comes up there, kind of looks to the does, pushes them off. We open up the window. He walks right up to us. And he gets to about 40 yards and stops and meanders around for a little bit. I'm looking at him. I'm like, ah, you know, I don't want to shoot him right there. Sure enough, he comes in right at 25 yards. We got, we open up the window. I draw back. And to tell you all how bad the wind is for where we were hunting, as soon as we opened the window, I was already drawn back. He was looking at us. I mean, he, he knew something was wrong. Mm. And let the air fly, smoked him. He took off running, saw the blood come out, high-fiving. 
you know, just, just pumps all the way went in the woods. We rewind the video and realized, you know, hit him kind of far, further back than I wanted to. So we reviewed, we reviewed the footage about three or four times and made the game time decision, you know, let's, let's leave him for a while. Let's go back to the camp. Let's finish up the game. We'll go back and look for him. So I want to say I shot him about, I think, guys, probably 5.15-ish, 5.30. We're texting our group messages. So one of our buddies from Alexandria drives up with a tracking dog. So we watch the end of the game. We wait, we wait till about 10 o'clock, go in there with the tracking dog, put it on him. We take off through the woods. We got good blood. He's sticking to a bunch of ridges, kind of going on kind of a swampy area. And we come to a, a little creek that comes to the property that we dam up, we flood, and we shoot some wood ducks out of. Mm-hmm. And there's two willow trees he went through, and there's mud on both sides. And he goes down in that little creek. So we decide we cross it, you know. We come to the other side, and there's nothing. And we can't figure out. We're stumped. We're like, all right, you know, the dog's sitting right here. The dog can't figure it out either. We're like, did he get in the creek and come out a little further down? Did he cross? We can't find any kick-out tracks, any blood, nothing. So we're sitting there, and, you know, we walk up and down for a little ways. And Taylor goes, you know, he might be dead in this creek. I was like, all right, you walk up that way. I'm going to walk up this way. And sure enough. 40 yards down the way, I could see his horn sticking out of the water. And uh, like I said, the air stayed in the whole time. I think that's probably one of the reasons why I got him. And I punctured. We opened him up. We were cleaning him. And I hit him. I mean, just punched his liver and hit the backside of his other lung. Mm-hmm. But I, I think if we'd have gone in there any earlier, that deer would have 100% run. And we probably would have found him. Had we gone, I think we sat for about five or six hours. Yeah. So, so when, when you did. when you found him, you said he went about forty yards down. Do you think he like crossed diagonally, or do you think he, he floated that further forty yards down? I think he got in there and went down. And, and like you know, I've always found or always heard people saying you know had had a few experiences, but you know when a deer gets shot, they go to try to find water to land it to help seal up the wound for them. Yeah. And I think I think he got in that creek and couldn't get, couldn't I guess get the strength to get on the other side. So just kind of walked down into a shallower spot and lay down. And uh, just kind of so came to the wounds there. Hmm. That's interesting, man. Well, um, that's a good story, dude. I like that. No, um, man, it was uh, it was a journey, I have to say the least. Like I said, we hunted them from opening day of bow season. I'm talking about the shot in November. Um, I can't think of the date exactly, but yeah, I think it was in November when I shot him. Now, what um, what did he score? He scored 142, and I think. Three fours, five eights, somewhere around there. So either five eights or six eights, right there. I mean, he was just—I mean, just had uh, just a brute. I mean, just had mass. I think when we put him on the scale, he weighed two hundred and sixty-five pounds. Jeez. I mean, just just a just a Madison Parish brute. That's incredible, man. So, um, in, in uh, I hadn't asked the other two guys this in in order of deer killed by y'all. What number of deer was he? Like the first one, the middle one, the last one, or he was the, he was the first one. He was the first one. Okay, and yeah, so then, he was the first one. So, because because Teddy and and Taylor they they've given you credit for like giving them the deer that pushed them over, but it sounds like you really set the foundation more than anything I, I don't know if how how like the does are in that chronological order but um if if you killed because y'all won by i didn't do the full math but somewhere around 140 150 points so like without your deer specifically y'all would have been pretty close if not tied with the second place team 
That's yeah, but cool. I think it uh, it really set the tone for us. You know, like I said, we've been watching that deer. We knew there were a couple other good bucks in there that we're still chasing. Mm-hmm. But you know, kind of getting that deer that time of the year. You know, we I think we shot a few does about it as well. I mean, like I said, just really set the tone for that 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 rest of the season. Like I said, with me and Teddy being school, we had a ton of free time. So I mean, we spent the majority of our time sitting in a stand when we weren't in class, just sitting in a stand, like trying to find other deer that we could go after. Very cool. Now, do you go to LSU? Yeah, I went to LSU, graduated last December. So I had got, I think I graduated December 15th, and I think I never left the woods until February. <laughs> so I think that, like I said, that, that really helped us out a lot as well. Sure. That's awesome, man. Well, um, I um, – it sounds like y'all have, have really stumbled upon or, or found a really great piece of property to hunt up there. Um, this, uh, when y'all were hunting thumbs, was it flooding on y'all at this point in time or did that come later? Yeah, that came later. This time of the year, uh, the water was pretty normal. Um, the deer were spread out evenly like they normally are. And like I said, he retreated to that back corner of the property. And I think he really went to that back corner of the property because – like I said, there's not. We don't go up there a whole lot. No one's really up there a lot. There's not any farm equipment up there, so I think he he liked the silence of it. You know, the quietness that there weren't anybody bothering him. Mm-hmm. And I think honestly, if we'd been up there a lot, you know, moving around that area, we probably would have found him. That's cool, man. Very cool. Well, um, what uh, what what equipment are you shooting? What bow and arrow and broadheads and all that? So I shoot a PSC uh, bow, man. It's kind of older bow. It's actually Taylor's old bow. I really haven't gotten. Didn't get the bow hunting until about two or three years ago. Taylor kind of helped me out with that. He bought a new bow, gave me that one, and uh, started shooting together some. I shoot that, and I shoot a, a gold tip, 340-grain arrow, with I shoot Rage Hypodermics. Cool. I like it. It's a quick, it zips it. You know, they don't have a lot of time to duck it. So, I like, like I said, my setup's pretty pretty slick for me. Nice, man. Well, um, what are you going to do this season, uh, maybe that's different or, or improvements or changes over the last seasons? Um, I think, I think we're going to have a lot more, uh, dedication to it after last season. Like I said last season was kind of one of our first seasons diving into it, especially with me, Teddy and Taylor kind of working together on it. I think this year, you know, already, I guarantee you probably, yes, since August, we've already put in, you know, 60, 70 hours of work out in the woods, trying to get stands ready, you know, trimming, you know, running cameras already, trying to figure out what's there. What, what are we after? Trying to figure out. And it's one of those things that I would say, you know, that I heard. So you know exactly what deer you're chasing. You know, you know where they're at. You know what their age is. What they do from last year. What they're going to do this year. Yeah. You know, we try to take this year. We try to give another year. So I think that's that's our biggest thing. And I think another another huge contributing factor is last year is we made like I said between the cell cams we made a Google Drive and we we kind of filed everything off. We we were very I guess organized about this and we filed every single picture off into which stand it came from, what the deer was. We had pictures of it from the year previous before and just really did our homework on, all right, do we think this is a good deer to take or is this a deer, you know, might need to let go for that year, depending on what he did from last year. That's awesome. Do y'all have any um, any rules or, or like off-limit bucks or anything like that on your property? We actually had one, and uh, it was actually bigger than some. I had it last year at about 13 yards. Um, it's probably... Oh shit! I can't. I can't one fifties, maybe his big nine point twos. Um, we've been watching him, and there was a lot of deer. Like I said, it's a new piece of property. Trying to learn it, trying to learn a deer. Had him out there, and I just could, couldn't make him older than four. Mm-hmm. And we try to shoot for everything five plus. 
So, and there's a few, you know, we'll let go like till six just to see, you know, just say, I will right, we'll take a shot off and see what they do. But, um, no, I saw him. So we're, we're really hoping, we haven't got any pictures of him yet, but we're really hoping he shows up. Like I said, this the normal rule of thumb is we try to, you know, come to a consistent say, you know, if, if it's a big mature deer at five years old, we're probably going to take him. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Well, good. Um, well, I, I've asked the other two guys this. Um, did you uh, did you lose any deer last year? Um, I don't think I lost a single one. Actually, I think everything I, I, I shot, we found. Um, I shot, I shot all through my does. I shot him. I'm trying to think. No, I didn't shoot. I shot another buck in Texas, but shot him with my rifle. But no, I think I got every single deer I shot. I got lucky. You know? That's great. It's just man. one of those things. I had one actually try to drop me pretty good. knew she was knew she was nervous, and actually Taylor was hunting me on this one. He videotaped it, but dropped her in her tracks, hit her uh, right in that group of nerves in her shoulder, and just stoned her. Nice. Well, I, I speaking of filming, I, I'd love to see that video of uh, of the buck that, that we of thumbs. If y'all, if you wouldn't mind sharing that with me, I'd love to check that out. Oh yeah, we'll definitely. I'll send it to you. I'll send you. We got we kind of put together to a video from last year of just all the hunting out there. You know, that's, I think it's another cool aspect that we try to take. As many, as many pictures as many videos of just us being out there and putting the work in and i think it's one of our cool off-season projects you know you have that lull in the summer where you're sitting there and, you know, there's not much you can do but you're kind of you know tired of <laughs> tired of being so hot ready for the cool off and be in the woods so it kind of gives us you know a project to do at the end of the season to kind of go through and kind of group together and put all of our pictures and videos together and make a video for the whole place that's awesome man yeah i'd love to check it out love to see it um, yeah, we'll, get, we'll send it to you. Well, uh, man, I, I hope that y'all have a, a killer season this year. Um, before we jump off here, you got any anything you want to add or any other questions for us, man? Um, no, I think I think the competition is great. I know I know we had some really stiff competition last year. Um, I think it's I think it's a great league. I think everyone, if, it, if even if you're a bow hunter, if you're not a bow hunter, I think you should join it. Like I said, it, it's cool. You can see. You know, what people feel all around the state, get to talk to guys, you know, kind of share some some tips about it. I think what y'all do with these podcasts is fantastic. Um, you know, I said this before we had this call. I did listen to many, listened to a few the other day after y'all called me and talked to me about it. I said, I think the, I think the topics y'all discuss are relevant. I think for people new to the sport, even guys who have been in it a long time, I mean, I think it's one of those things you can learn something from every every situation. So it, it's very educational. Like I said, um, it's helped me. It gave me a few pointers to do something different for this season. So. Well, I appreciate that, man. Thank you very much. Thank you. Oh, no problem. Well, um, look, dude, I hope you have a great season. I hope that y'all get on them again, and uh, and hopefully y'all don't get flooded out uh, too early this year. sounds like that's going to be kind of your life moving forward if you're going to hunt along the river. But, um, oh, yeah. Hopefully- it's, it's, a, it's a constant pain, but, you know, it's just one of things you got to adapt and overcome it and move on. I think we're going to try to go again for a – for two feet this year, but I know we got some stiff competition. But I think we're going to be we're going to be be ready for it and come out the gate swinging. Perfect. Well, good, man. Well, look, hey, thanks for joining us tonight, man, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right, sounds perfect. Thanks, man. All right, buddy. See ya. See ya. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. If you have anybody you'd like to hear on the show, reach out to us at info at louisianabowhunter.com. And if you want to help support Louisiana Bowhunter, go by your local archery shop and pick up some merchandise. If you don't have any at your local shop, let us know and we'll reach out to them. Or pick up your gear at louisianabowhunter.com and we'll ship it out to you same day. See you next week.